worldwide and beyond. And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. Good morning, I'm Bob Brown. The humanitarian crisis in Ukraine is deepening as Russian forces intensify their shelling as food, water, heat, and medicine grow more scarce. Ukraine says it's facing a medieval-style siege by Moscow to batter it into submission. A third round of talks between the two sides Monday ended with a top Ukrainian official saying there had been minor unspecified progress toward establishing safe corridors that would allow civilians to escape the fighting. Russia's top negotiator says he expects those corridors to finally start functioning today. The U.S. has given the go-ahead for Ukraine's neighbor, Poland, to send fighter jets to Ukraine despite warnings from Russia. Prices at the pump climbing even higher, above $4 a gallon. These are the highest prices drivers in the U.S. have had to contend with since July of 2008. Prices have surged since growing demands to ban imports of Russian oil. AAA says the U.S. national average for a gallon of regular soaring 45 cents in the past week. The price of regular gas is up 50 percent since this time last year. Frank Morano on the other side of Midnight up next on 77 WABC. Forecast in the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center overnight. Clearing skies, temperatures dropping into the 40s. Later today, sunny highs in the low to mid-50s. Right now, partly cloudy outside the 77 WABC Midtown Manhattan studios. I'm Bob Brown. Remember, the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for listening to me on 77 WABC. For the last 103 years or so, there has been... Pretty broad consensus among sports fans, policymakers, law enforcement officials, and everyday people who don't fall into any of those categories that gambling is going to happen. And there's debate about how much gambling there should be. But when it comes to gambling on sports, there's one category of people that you do not want on sporting events, whatever the sporting event happens to be. Baseball, football, basketball, hockey, so on and so forth. The one group of people that you really don't want gambling on sporting events is athletes. We all remember what happened with the 1919. Well, we don't remember firsthand. We remember as students of history what happened with the 1919 World Series, the so-called Black Sox scandal, when the Chicago White Sox, the so-called eight men out, through the World Series to the Reds. Those baseball players were banned for life, banished from the Hall of Fame. And then many, many years later, we saw Pete Rose, at the time that he was managing the Reds, thrown out of baseball for betting on baseball. He is still not in the Hall of Fame to this day, in spite of the fact that he is the only player in history ever to have 4,000 hits in a major league career. So why are we talking about this now? Well, As we see more and more states move towards legalized sports betting, including New York, including New Jersey, 
And as we see more and more states moving towards mobile sports betting, it is now easier than ever for people, including athletes, to cast a legal sports bet. Now, as far as the professional athletes go, it's still not legal for them to bet on sports, at least not their own sport. And that leads us to a story that is quite interesting from my point of view. The NFL has suspended the Falcons' Calvin Ridley indefinitely for gambling on games. Now, who's Calvin Ridley? He's a football player, 27 years old, makes millions of dollars, a good football player, very, very good football player. He left the Falcons last season to focus on his mental health. Now, I don't know what the nature of the mental health issues or issue that he had was, but he left in the middle of the season to focus on his mental health, even though he was making something close to, I think, $11 million a year. But uh, millions, millions, millions of dollars. He was suspended indefinitely yesterday, at least through the 2022 season, the whole year, for betting on NFL games while away from the Falcons. According to the NFL, the star-wide receiver placed bets during a five-day period in November during which he was not on team facilities. I bet, this is what he said on Twitter, I bet $1,500 total. I don't have a gambling problem. I couldn't even watch football at that point. I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. Now, this is someone who hasn't suited up for a game since October 24th. He's now 27 years old, would be in the prime of his career. The NFL Network reported that Bidley, Ridley bet on Falcons games as well as other sports, according to multiple outlets. He placed multiple parlay bets that included picking the Falcons to win. Now, parlay bet, for those of you that don't bet sports, is when you bet on a bunch of different things to happen. Oh, I'm betting on the Falcons to win, and I'm also betting on the Jets to win, and I'm betting on the Giants to lose. Uh, though That's your parlay uh, bet. It's, it's, a, it's not as if you're just betting on one team to win or lose. So... He made these bets using his mobile phone in Florida. The service that Ridley used was monitored by Genius Sports Group, which handles the NFL's data and monitoring and reports the bets to the league. So NFL locker rooms don't have the same kind of signage warning players about gambling that Major League Baseball clubhouses do, but all players in the NFL are made aware of the gambling policy at least once a year during the league-mandated security presentation in 32 training camps. So there's no question he knows he's not supposed to bet on football. There's no question he knows he broke the rules here. My question for you is, is this an appropriate punishment, an indefinite suspension, um for a legal sports bet, even though it broke the rules? I don't think so. 800-848-WABC. Tell me your thoughts. The guy is suspended for an entire year, at least in the prime of his career, for betting, placing a legal sports bet, of $1,500 on a game that he wasn't in. He wasn't playing in it. He wasn't on the premises. The NFL released a statement saying it didn't look like he had any inside information. He was essentially almost in the same position that you or I would be if we were watching the games. $1,500, and he's banned for a year. Now, I'm all for punishing this guy. 
Suspend him for two games, three games, four games, five games. Send a message. But to suspend him for the entire season in the prime of his career, that is a punishment that does not fit the crime. couple of things here. The NFL is the, uh, is the biggest hypocrite on this issue in the world. You ever watch in a football game? What do you see? You see nothing but commercials for legalized sports betting. They have no problem cashing the checks from companies that benefit from legalized sports betting. Oh, but heaven forbid one of their players should uh, make a bet on a game that he's not even playing in when he wasn't even on the premises that he had no inside information of. We ought to send a message. We got to ban him for a year. Suspend him indefinitely. Come on. Give the guy a break. I don't know much about Calvin Ridley. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if he's the best guy in the world or the worst. This is not an appropriate punishment. And you're not just punishing Calvin Ridley here. You're punishing the Atlanta Falcons, and you're punishing the Falcons fans. I'm all for giving him a suspension. I'm all for making him pay a fine. I'm all for making him go to a class on the dangers of of gambling addiction. But to suspend him indefinitely for at least one year, not appropriate in my judgment. What do you think? 800-848-9222. It's 800-848-WABC. Whenever I see Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the National Football League, who, by the way, whose father used to be our senator here in New York. Did you know that? Did you know that uh, Roger Goodell's father was a U.S. senator from New York? That's right, Charles Goodell. He was uh, a senator in uh, the seven in yeah in the in the sixties. He was appointed, I think, by uh, Nelson Rockefeller, I believe, and then he was defeated for election in nineteen seventy by Jim Buckley. Jim Buckley actually won that race as a conservative party candidate before uh, he was defeated six years later by Daniel Patrick Moynihan. But the point is, Roger Goodell has done an abominable job making the NFL a virtuous league, an abominable job. You look at what goes on with these NFL players. You have uh, abuse of women, abuse of children, rampant drug use. Uh, You have very poor um, messaging in terms of the kind of artists that are chosen to play at things like the NFL halftime show. You have a situation where players have, in some cases, irreparably damaged their health because the NFL had their coaches pat these guys on the back and say, oh, you're good, you're good, you just had your bell rung, go out there and get another concussion. You have players who will never be the same because of suffering from CTE and other head injuries because the NFL was more concerned with making the most money they could and putting the best product they could out on the field. These are the pariahs of virtue that are going to suspend Calvin Ridley indefinitely, telling him and his team and their fans to take a hike? I don't think that's appropriate. What say you? Now, look, I'm not an expert on sports like Sid Rosenberg. I don't pretend to be. But I, I and I don't, I'm not even an expert on gambling. I do like to gamble, but uh, I like, you know, I, I prefer casino gambling. I do place a sports bet once in a while. But I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert in gambling. I don't pretend to be an expert in sports. I, I tell you what, though. This just reeks of hypocrisy, and it reeks of unfairness. What do you think? 
800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we have Harry Wilson, Republican candidate for governor, joining me in our continuing effort to showcase all of the candidates for governor. We're hoping by the uh, by the time the election comes around to have all the Republicans, all the Democrats, and all the third-party candidates on. So far, we've had Andrew Giuliani, Rob Astorino, and then coming up in a little while, we're going to have Harry Wilson. And I'm hoping that uh, we'll have all the Democrats and uh, the independents as well uh, uh, soon, too. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Eileen in Piermont. Hello, Eileen. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Well, I, uh, I'd like to think I'm doing pretty well, but I suppose that's up for debate. Yeah, I think you're doing well. I have just have three small things to say. I'm ready. Yes. Number one, I do agree with you. And I'm sure I will sleep well tonight just knowing this. And also, um, there's a war going on, a serious war. We're on the brink of World War Three. And um, my third point is you're a schmuck and a potz. Well, I appreciate that, Eileen. Thank you. I'm glad we got uh, all three of those points in there in the allotted time. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Hi. Um, I must have missed something here. You said he wasn't active with the team at the time? No, he had taken a leave uh, for mental health issues. And so what What he he gambled? Why not? Well, because players players are not allowed to gamble on the NFL. They know that's the rule. That's the rule. And they can't they can't gamble. Okay, evidently, even if they not with the team at the time, apparently not. Yeah, but that, that's that's what my issue is. Like, if he if he gambled on a game that he was playing in, I'd say yes. absolutely suspend him for for a year. If he gambled yes. and uh, against a team uh, against a, a, his own team and a game that he was playing on, like the eight men out, yeah. the Black Sox did, then I say ban yeah. him for life. But he yeah. he basically he cast a bet on a game that he had nothing to do with. So what they okay? I understand it's the rule, but why? What are they charging him with? Well, I mean, the, just, Roger Goodell. You know, Rod, I'm, I'm siding with you on that. Right, Roger He's Goodell. The game. Roger Goodell says they have a zero tolerance policy for this sort of thing, and and that's that's it. They're gonna they're not gonna put put up with any gambling. Ah, uh, you know what. Uh, that don't make sense to me. You know, I understand they want to keep the game good and clear and all that, but in that kind of situation, I, I, I don't understand it. Like they say, he's got no inside dope. You know, he's not – I don't understand it, man. Come on. He's not even in the game. He's not talking to his players. Exactly, Tom. I don't think it's exactly. fair. I don't think it's fair. Exactly. Uh, thank, you for, thank you for the call. I say make him pay a fine. I say suspend him. I say uh, make him go to a class, make him issue a public apology. But this one-year ban, it's a punishment that does not fit the crime, in my judgment. Coming up as well, in addition to uh, talking with Harry Wilson, we're going to go live to uh, Poland and talk with reporter Michael Tracy, who is there covering the Russia-Ukraine war. James is in Ohio. Hello, James. Yo. Yo. Listen, man. Listen, I know you got thick skin, you know, but I got your back, so don't worry about it. You know, people can say whatever they want, but you're all right with me. Well, then that, I, I'm saying, that's fine with me. Thank thing, you, James. Yeah, only thing I'm saying about about the gambling, you know, you know, people got kids, you know, gambling's bad. You know, you don't want kids seeing all of that, you know, commercials and all of that. Personally, I don't like gambling. 
you know, like out in the open. I mean, if you want, you know, if you're an adult and you want to gamble, you know, you go to the casinos and stuff like that. But gambling in sports, I don't, I'm not with it. You know, James, I totally they, get that. I totally get uh, that, James. And um, there's a, a strong case to be made in support of everything that you just said. But the the fact of the matter is society and the sports leagues have made their choice. The state legislature after state legislature and the Supreme Court have all said gambling is is legal. And and these and these leagues are benefiting from the ads. So, um, again, I don't want players gambling. I think it's good that they caught this guy. Punish him. But to ban him for a year, not appropriate, in my judgment. 800-848-WABC. All right, we have the Tom from the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, yes. hi, hey, Frank. Tom. I'd like yes. to talk about the proposed baseball strike and how you stop it. Well, it's a lockout, technically. Tom. Yeah, well, I'd like to say this, that if... The Yankee Stadium were to make a statement that they were going to let the Ferry Hawks and another team play there just one day. A lot of jealousy would uh, come about, and I think the players and the owners would come to an agreement where they'd say, well, look, we can't let other parties in our stadium Let's settle this uh, pro strike right now. Well, think about that. L- look, we'll see what happens, Tom. Thank you. I-, I would. L- I can't wait to see the Ferry Hawks. And I think, in some ways, as much as I'm not happy about a baseball lockout, I think in some ways it could be the best thing for these independent league teams. Noel is calling from Brooklyn. Hello, Noel. Yes, hi, um, uh, Frank. Frank uh, this yes. is. Um, I'm a first time caller. Oh, and welcome. I, I'm very, well, well, I. Uh, let me just stop there and say that it's it's um, kind of strange because many years ago when your station was owned by Capital Cities, I was actually a board operator engineer. Oh, really? What so, shows did you work on at the time? Uh, Steve, I worked on Steve Molesberg. Um, I worked on the late, um, what's her name? She came up Lynn, from WBAI. Lynn Samuels. Lynn Samuels. Lynn Samuels, right. And I was there during the, during the time of that other guy that le- actually – I came in at the time when the other guy left to go to WOR, and uh, he right, was Bob the very he, right, right. So it, right. it's it's very strange. I've come back home again. Well, welcome back. Anyway, Noel. I'm I, so I, pleased that you called. We have uh, gubernatorial candidate Harry Wilson waiting in the wings. But what was your comment about this whole situation? Okay, well, uh, first of all, I wanted to say real quick because uh, I know the way radio works. That lady, and this is the first time I've spoken to you. That lady, Elaine. If you're going to call Frank a name, at least stay there and and face the music. Uh, well, whatever, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Well, if, uh... I, I think it's that that's cowardness, uh, you know. But uh, since since we're pushed up against the time, I just want to run through a few things. The NFL has no reason to say that when they dope up players to come back early. The NFL pays no taxes. They're talking about uh, fight prejudice in the end zone. Thirty-one out of the thirty-two teams are are are, are, are white coaches. Um, quarterbacks at one time were not black quarterbacks were not considered um, to be smart enough to play in the NFL. I'll call you at another time due to uh, the the time constraint. All right, thank, th- you. thank you, Noel. The only thing I'll correct what he said is the NFL does pay taxes. Uh, they used to be tax exempt. But about three or four years ago, this was one of the rare instances of bipartisan agreement in Congress 
they were all set to take away the NFL's tax exemption. And the NFL came out and said, oh, no, 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 we'll pay taxes, we'll pay taxes. Well, what stopped you for the last 50, 60 years? But uh, that whatever whatever the case is, that a case is, they do pay taxes now. Harry Wilson, Republican candidate for governor, joins me straight ahead. WABC. This is Curtis Sliwa. For more than 30 years, when cancer is the issue, my number one source for straight cancer information, guidance, and treatment is Dr. Lederman. Dr. Lederman is cutting edge and the first in America with non-invasive, no-cutting, no-bleeding, highly successful body radio surgery for new and reoccurring cancers. Even if prior chemo, surgery, or radiation didn't work, isn't tolerated or wanted. For prostate cancers... He's the one, and I know best from my personal experience, avoiding radical robotic surgery and all of its many complications. He's a prostate cancer body expert, breast, lung, pancreas, liver, kidney, and more. Conveniently located at 38th and Broadway, accepts most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid. Dr. Lederman's exemplary prostate cancer treatment with better results, sexual and urinary life, and avoiding deforming surgery are best for you. Call Dr. Lederman. 212 Choices. That's 212 Choices. Hyper Labs doing business as Hyper Science seeks back-end engineers in New York, New York to wrap ML modules in reusable application components which can be integrated in different configurations depending on the specific customer's needs. Telecommuting is available. Email resume to HyperScience subject reference BE022022 to garth.taylor at hyperscience.com. That's Garth.Taylor at Hyperscience.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Frank Murano, 77 WABC. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, we have uh, there's no secret that there's a lot of tensions on the international scene, but we can't forget about the fact that this year, this November, we are going to have a gubernatorial election. And we have a lot of problems here in New York State, whether we're talking crime, whether we're talking the economy, whether we're talking the cost of living, uh, whether we're talking the structure of government itself, whether we're talking education. There has never been a time in New York, and I believe that, honestly, uh, that the job of governor matters more than it does right now. So we've been trying to invite all the candidates on uh, for governor and uh, give their two cents as to why they should earn your vote in either the Republican primary, the Democratic primary, or in the general election. Somebody who, uh, since 2002, has come the closest that any Republican statewide has come to actually winning an election is a candidate for governor. Now, he's someone that Republicans for many years have been high on. It's somebody that uh, has generally been thought of as having crossover appeal, as somebody that has money and can raise money to get his message out, and has a record of actually getting some Democrats and independents 
to vote for him. I'm talking about a Republican gubernatorial candidate, successful businessman, and restructuring expert, Harry Wilson, who's kind enough to join us this morning. Harry, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the radio. Frank, it's great to be with you. It's great to talk with you. Now, you have um, uh, not run for office in 12 years, and I'm imagining that a lot of our, even our politically astute listeners, may not exactly remember who you are and what you're up to. Some people, this might be the first time they've ever heard you. Give us your, your brief elevator pitch. What's been your background professionally, and why do you think your uh, career has prepared you well to take on the role of governor at such an important time in New York's history? Sure. So I've spent my entire professional life, nearly 30 years, leading turnarounds of some of the most messy, complicated, broken organizations in the country. Uh, everything from General Motors to Sotheby's to Yahoo to the largest trucking company in the country, the largest nursing home chain in the country, all you know, real challenges that I came in, in in different capacities to drive the turnaround of. And I think that skill set is exactly what we need in Albany. I think the most broken organization in the country is state government. And as a result of that, this dysfunction, 20 million New Yorkers are suffering every day under that incredible list of problems you, you listed through a few minutes ago. So what's your biggest issue, Harry? What are you going to be campaigning on? And if you're elected, I hope it's okay that I call you Harry. Um, but um, if uh, if you're elected, what's going to be your biggest policy priority? So our whole focus is on creating a holistic turnaround plan for the entire state. So in our first budget in 2023, that will be a turnaround plan for all the largest problems facing today. I think, you know, they, they, or basically the list you gave earlier. I think it's everything from the highest tax burden in the country, the highest cost of living in the country, spiking crime in every city in the state, um, and you know dysfunction in Albany, driven by blatant corruption, um, frankly, on both sides of the aisle, and particularly having had the last two governors who were elected resign in disgrace. And so that kind of holistic approach of ethics reform, of reducing uh, spending and taxes, reducing regulations that drive the cost of living, and re- and reversing some of the uh, bad ideas that came through Albany that have led to the spike in crime. All those will be part of our first budget. So um, I think a lot of folks recognize that you're potentially in the best position to win over Democrats and independents. And you did that when you ran against Tom DiNapoli back in 2010, uh, coming within a, a whisper of actually getting elected to be state controller. Before you can make it to November, you've got to win a Republican primary. Uh, we've been talking with a lot of the other candidates. And uh, one of the things that I think they're going to hang on you is that um, you did some work for the Obama administration. And um, if there's a bigger enemy among uh, red meat eating, rock ribbed conservative Republicans that vote in primaries in the state right now than Barack Obama, it's Alvin Bragg. And you made what a lot of Republicans consider to be an unthinkable error in judgment in contributing to Alvin Bragg's campaign for D.A. Um, How do you win over Republicans in the primary and put to rest any doubts they may have about your ability to be a proper Republican standard bearer? Sure. So let me let me go through a couple of things. First, I've been a staunch fiscal conservative my entire life. Uh, you know, I first I got interested in politics when I fell in love with Ronald Reagan at the age of eight in 1980. <laughs> and so, you know, no one has uh, any right to question my conservative bona fides. Um, 
when we talk about my work at, in leading the, the turnaround General Motors in 2009, let's be clear, I, I crossed party lines to serve our country. And our country was in, was in uh, a really bad place. We're in the middle of the financial crisis. A lot of people were worried that we might fall into the, a second Great Depression, and for good reason. Uh, unemployment had spiked to double digits, and um, you know several sectors of the economy were in massive disarray. And I had this incredible track record of leading the turnaround of really broken organizations. TARP was passed by the Bush administration, and it was clear that under that, there was going to be significant investments in both the auto industry and the financial services sector. And I wanted to lend my skills towards making sure that that was done well and successfully, rather than having a lot of bureaucrats in D.C. mismanage it, which I think was, would have been the alternative. So, yes, I, I crossed party lines because I thought it was in the best interest of our country. And I, would all, I will always do what's in the best interest of which, our country. Which, by the way, I'm all for. I wish more Democrats and Republicans would do that and put service to the country before these petty partisan uh, squabbles. I would have done – like, I'm not a Republican, but I would have done the same thing if a president of either party uh, asked me to use my expertise to solve whatever pressing issue the uh, country was facing. I'm just repeating, you know, what some conservatives sure. have brought up with me. Yeah, but, but I think anybody who's ever, ever actually studied it and looked into what we did and what we achieved, they realized what we did was drive significant accountability. We made sure the taxpayers actually made money on the entire uh, venture, and it saved the economy. It saved, um, by most estimates, over a million jobs. Uh, and again, the taxpayer was better, much far better off for it. So it was something that was brought on by the greatest crisis we've had in the last 80 years, um, and, you know, I had a skill set that could really make a difference, and I was happy to do it to, to benefit all those folks and benefit our country. Again, I would do it again. So I think that's, that's the part. And I think, you know, frankly, anybody uh, who is using that, it's, uh, they know how successful it's been. GM went from losing $4 billion a month in 2009 when we came in to record profits, and it's been profitable for 13 years. Some of the same people who criticized it at the time said, oh, GM will be bankrupt again within a year. They obviously were dead wrong. Uh, and so, you know, to me, the, the, the focus and the skill set of taking a really messy, broken situation and turning it around when everybody said it could not be done. If you go back into the press at that point in time, everybody said GM has been shrinking for 55 years. Um, no one can fix it. Uh, you might as well just let it go. And they were dead wrong. And that's the same way I feel about New York State. When people say New York State can't be fixed. It's because we have the same failure of leadership that I've seen in company after company of career politicians who are more interested in getting elected than they are in serving the people of the state. And that is all that is wrong with New York. With a change in leadership of, of someone who, like me from the outside, who's not beholden to special interests, who's not going to kowtow to, um, to the uh, lobbyists and, and interests of both sides, of either side, we're really just focused on making the state a better place to live and work. Um, reducing cost of living, reducing taxes, reducing crime. That, I think, is exactly what we need. And it's the skill set that's sorely lacking in Albany, which is why we're the mess we're in. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Harry Wilson. He's a Republican candidate for governor, and uh, he is in the midst of petitioning right now. All the candidates are petitioning to get their way on the ballot, except for Governor Hochul and uh, Lee Zeldin, who have been selected by the Party leadership. Now, what about this Alvin Bragg issue? I know this rubs a lot of Republican voters the wrong way. They consider the Manhattan DA to be just the worst and the 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 personification of everything that they view as being wrong with the criminal justice system. So to have someone who contributed to his campaign just uh, last year 
now asking for a Republican vote in the primary. A lot of them take issue with that. Do you care to explain that at all? Sure, sure. And let me the, the, the timing issue is a really important one because that's not actually that accurate. But let me first, as I've said uh, in many places many times, I totally reject Alvin's policies. I think any DA who does not prosecute the law uh, to the fullest extent should be removed from office, and the governor has the right to do it. And so if he did not follow the policies and prosecute crimes accordingly, I would remove him from office, period, full stop. And I've said that for the first time the question was posed to me. Now, I did give him a contribution two years ago. And the timing here is really important. The reason I did that was in, in June of 2020, Alvin and I went to college together. And uh, a mutual friend from college organized a Zoom fundraiser in the early days of the pandemic in June of 2020 and got a bunch of people together. Um, everybody gave, you know, a donation. And as part of that, we, we got together on Zoom. We never talked about policy. We talked about each other's kids that how everybody had been, maybe these people I hadn't seen in many years. Um, and that, so that's why I did it. Uh, you know, it was much, much later that his views started to come out. Uh, that memo, um, you know, was, was, came out his first day of office. And so it was well before any discussion. If I had known that he would come forward with those policies, I wouldn't give him a dollar. But I didn't know that at the time. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, yes, my opponents are using it against me. But let's, let's, let's talk about kind of substance and facts. So the contribution I gave was a tiny, tiny fraction of political donations I've given in my life, less than one-tenth of one percent. It was a tiny, tiny fraction of the money he received. So it was not terribly relevant to either, you know, my giving or to him. Uh, and again, if I had known what he would do and say, I would never have done it. And I, you know, gladly would take it back. Um, on the other hand, my, my opponents, like Congressman Zeldin, uh, for example, spent four years in lockstep support of Andrew Cuomo's agenda, voting for every budget, every tax increase, and he did it because it was in his political interest that he thought at the time to do it. So let's compare my, my mistake in giving one contribution out of my personal funds two years ago, long before the, the concerns about Mr. Bragg were, were clear, to, you know, Lee Zeldin spending four years of his life being paid for by tax, being paid by taxpayers to defend them and totally advocating that responsibility by voting for the Cuomo local agenda every step of the way. Uh- Fair enough. Uh, if you do win and you're in a position to govern, in all likelihood, you're still probably going to be facing two houses of the state legislature that are overwhelmingly Democratic. How can you as a Republican, as a fiscal conservative, govern when you're going to have the legislature trying to probably put the brakes on a lot of the initiatives you're trying to implement? Yeah, absolutely. So this, this is a really important thing to, for, for people to appreciate and understand, um, because I would not be going into this if I didn't believe I could be successful, otherwise it's a complete waste of my time. Uh, and I, I try not to waste time. So the reason that I, I believe I can get the Turan plan done in year one, and the way I would approach it, is the governor has extraordinary budgetary authority. Now, in the past... Cuomo used that to get political favors that he thought were important to him. Right, or, or to rename bridges for his father. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> which I guess was important to him, but wasn't important to anybody else. I right. still call it the tap Z. Uh, <laughs> but um, in any case, you know, that's what he would use it for. I would use it solely for the purpose of helping the people of the state of New York and getting this plan done. So we would propose our first budget. It would be a massive turnaround plan that would remake the state in that first budget. And the, the legislature, for sure, will not like it and will fight me every step of the way. And as you know, if that budget's not passed by March 31st, the legislature doesn't get paid until it's passed. 
So in my TV commercials, when I talk about how they won't get paid, I fully expect them to fight me um, tooth and nail uh, on that. And I fully expect to go well past March 31st, probably months past March 31st. Uh, but I'm, and I'm prepared to negotiate on the edges. I'm not prepared to negotiate the principles, which is we have to make New York work for people. Uh, and that's, that's how we'll get it done, all in the scope of that budget. And we'll you know, fight as long as it takes, uh, because that's the only reason I'm running, is to make the state work uh, like it used to and be the creative opportunity once it was and was for me and my family. Uh, talking with Harry Wilson, he's a Republican candidate for governor, uh, running in a very competitive primary in June. Now, New York has sort of an interesting system when it comes to governor and lieutenant governor. They run separately in the primary and together in the general election. Do you have a running mate? Are you petitioning for anybody for lieutenant governor, or are you content to have the party's choice of Allison Esposito be your running mate in November? The, the latter. I, I, you know, Ms. Esposito will be the lieutenant governor nominee, and with, you know, when I win the primary, will be my running mate. Um, one of the questions that I've asked all the other candidates is they all, you guys all seem to be emphasizing some of the same issues uh, COVID restrictions, crime taxes, cost of living. What do you see as the key policy differences, if any, between you and the main three Republicans that are also running, Astorino, Giuliani, and Zeldin? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the reality is there aren't a lot of policy differences between us. Um, I think, you know, we're, you know, in a, in a very similar zone across most issues. So I think the real difference uh, between myself and the others, all of them are are, uh, you know, kind of five, five people, is one, the ability to actually execute. I'm the only person who's led turnarounds for 30 years and had the success that I've had in doing so. And I think that's exactly the skill set we need. We don't need another politician. We need someone who's going to come in from outside the system to drive major change, come hell or high water. And uh, that's, that's, what, you know, that's, I think, the recipe of success. And then secondly, we need someone who can actually win. <laughs> and as you pointed out earlier in the conversation, in the last 20 years, I'm the only Republican who's come close, run for office once. And uh, I started late. I had no idea what I was doing because I'd never run before, never even worked on a campaign before, but I figured things out. And at the end of the day, we almost beat Tom DiNapoli, who's probably the most popular incumbent in the state. Uh, He's won every other race he's had by 30 points or more. And we were able to do it because uh, even though we ran on a very fiscally conservative platform, uh, we were able to appeal to a really broad cross-section of New Yorkers uh, because we were incredibly data-driven really focus on the facts and focus on things that make a difference in, in people's lives. Um, we're incredibly, you know, kind of candid, and I think people trusted them, believed in that. And as a result, a lot of people um, came over. We had 65% of independents and nearly 30% Democrats, which are, as you know, extraordinarily uh, high levels because people had faith that we would deliver for sure. them. Sure. No. Uh, no. Absolutely. I was one of those uh, independents that year that uh, that vote that did vote for you, and uh, oh, I, I'm you. quite fond of uh, of Tom DiNapoli. And uh, I, I mean, in that election, I thought you uh, actually were going to. You certainly gave him a run for his money. Now, our radio station is owned by a. Greek American, a very, very proud Greek, uh, John Katsimatidis, and he would not forgive me if I asked you, I know you're Greek, but why don't you have a Greek last name? <laughs> so, uh, Ellis Island. So, my mom is from Greece. She, she moved here uh, from Greece 11 months before I was born. My dad was born here. Both his parents are Greek immigrants. And when my dad's dad went through Ellis Island, he walked in as Perios Devusis and walked out as Harry Wilson. 
<laughs> and so the first name is the literal translation of Rios is Harry. Um, the Zeus to Wilson was a pure creation. Uh, so that's why I went from being, you know, I'm, I'm first generation Greek American. Greek was my first language. I didn't learn English until nursery school. So I'm, I'm you know, uh, as close to my immigrant roots and heritage as, as you can get. Yeah, my, you know, my name is Harry Wilson, <laughs> and it sounds like the ultimate wasp, maybe, even though I'm definitely not. It's funny. I know a lot of Republicans were trying to get you to run four years ago, including many mm-hmm. of the same Republican leaders that are now trying to get you not to run this year and rally behind the, the party's choice of Lee Zeldin. And I'm sure a lot of Republicans were trying to get you to run for statewide office back in 2014 as well. It's no secret that the Republican Party has had a difficult time over the course of the last 20 years. And you've been one of the few shining stars that the state GOP has had. Why did you choose to, when the Republican Party could have used some shining stars, not to run for statewide office four years ago or eight years ago? And why are you running now? Sure. So, you know, there are multiple elements in my life. I'm not a politician, right? So I, I, you know, there are a lot of things that matter to me. My most important thing is my family. My business is incredibly important to me and the, and the the work we do on behalf of saving companies and jobs, and then politics, which is another way for my view to serve and to help save jobs and help people. And so those are the things I kind of weigh was I think about things. And in 18, I, I did seriously think about running. Um, I explored it for a period of time. Uh, but at that point, we had, we had four daughters, and all four were at home. And as we went through it, we just realized, my wife and I realized we couldn't do the campaign we need to do, which is, you know, is a 24-7 endeavor statewide and, and have the same, you know, family support and dynamic that was so important to us. Uh, we've been blessed to have, you know, four great kids. Uh, you know, the oldest was a junior in high school at the time going through the college process. And just there were just a lot of things that just didn't really work for us as a family, and that's why I decided not to run four years ago. Um, in early 21, the same folks came to me, including the party leadership and Chairman Langworthy and many others uh, came to me and asked me for 22. At that point, I had just taken on the leadership of the largest nursing home chain in the country. Uh, they called me when they were about five weeks away from running out of cash, 40,000 employees, 20,000 patients, and I had a commitment to them that I couldn't walk out on. And so that's why I said no then. Fast forward to November of 21, I had just finished the work just before Thanksgiving, and some of that same group of people came back to me and said, not, not Cheryl Langworthy, who had, at that point had declared um, uh, Zeldin the presumptive nominee, but others, uh, and including a lot of business leaders who looked at the field and felt that no one in the field could win and desperately needed someone who could win and actually make a difference in the state. And they all came back to me and said, would you reconsider? And I thought about it. I did my work. I basically said, do I think any of these folks in the field, again, no disrespect to any of them, do I think any of them can win and be a great governor? Uh, if they, if the answer was yes, I'd be happily, I'd happily stay home. But I basically concluded that I didn't think any of them could win, and anything any of them would make the transformational change we desperately need. And so then I started thinking, well, can I? Is it too late for me? Can I do it? Uh, can I win and kind of make the change? I'm just confident I can make the impact if I'm elected. And the question is, you know, can I, can I make it through the, both the primary and the general? Uh, and so we pull, pulled our, our team together, and you know, from my perspective. Uh, it's a tough road for sure. I, I recognize that. Um, but I felt like I have the skills to make a huge difference. I felt I had to give it my best shot. Um, you know, the family's fully on board. Two of our girls are in college now. Uh, two are still at home. And they all, you know, suffered through the mismanagement of the COVID pa- pandemic. And, you know, for anybody who has school-age kids who's listening, or, ha- or school-age grandkids for that matter, 
you've seen how detrimental the mismanagement of the pandemic was to kids across the board. Um, and that's, you know, coming from a family where we're really blessed. If, you know, for kids in the, in the lower income circumstances or more challenged circumstances, it was that much harder. And so, for, you know, our kids saw the importance of how, uh, how, how important it is to have good leadership in public life that we definitely don't have today. And so that, that flipped in our family, and, uh, and that's, why, you know, that's why I flipped. Uh, so that's, you know, now <laughs> made my road a tougher road because of the timing, but it, you know, I, I had to ask myself the question, do I think based on where I am now, do I believe I could still win? Um, I do. Uh, I think, you know, we've only been in the race, you know, a little bit over 10 days or so. Um, and I think we've done more in terms of changing the dynamic, getting buzz, getting our message across resources, building a great team. Than, than, the, than the folks who have been in the, in the race for a year. Um, and so I think we've, you know, I think we're in a position to, to do well. We have to first get to the petition process, obviously, um, and then uh, keep taking our message to the voters uh, come, uh, come June 28th. One of the things that uh, Rob Astorino had said yesterday and Andrew Giuliani has said publicly, and my colleague Rudy Giuliani, who's on the radio on our station every afternoon at 3 p.m., has said is they didn't feel as if this process was fair. They felt like it was sort of uh, uh, sewn up by the leadership from the beginning. Do you feel that's the case? Do you feel that uh, the GOP was denied an open process here and that the candidates were denied a fair opportunity to compete? Yeah, so I think I think there was a determination made by a lot of people early that they needed to, to create a, um, a clear consensus early and that in looking at that field that, that uh, many, but certainly not all, lean towards Zeldin on that basis. And let me, let me, let me kind of take apart those two pieces. On the first part, it was it was a you know not a, not a, not a crazy idea which was like, let's let's try to build some early momentum let's get some support unified party you know kind of get get some real runway so you know kind of fine concept uh, I would argue that you know Congressman Zeldin has basically squandered that he's been running for a year he's been the presumptive nominee for you know almost a year and no one knows who he is he's got no traction in the public polls uh, he doesn't have a vision for the state. That laid out a case for why he should be governor, other than saying no to a bunch of bad ideas from Kathy Hochul. But any Republican in the state would say the same thing, and most independents and a bunch of Democrats too. So it's not that's not the case for me becoming governor, in my opinion. Um, and so I think he's kind of squandered the lead he was given. Uh, and then the second piece is, you know, the judgment was that he would be amongst the, uh, I guess at the time, the five candidates before I showed up, the five candidates who were circulating. I think that was driven in part because uh, he obviously was a sitting congressman and had raised a little bit of money early on. Part of that was because of funds he transferred from his own congressional campaign. Uh, and, you know, you know, there were a couple, you know, Rob had lost the last couple races he'd been in. Uh, and so I think that was the kind of the view that of, of the group, Lee was the best positioned. Um, you know, I think that's debatable, obviously. Uh, but, but I think the, you know, the broader point that you know, Rob and Andrew and others have raised is, listen, this is a you know, this is a um, uh, incredibly important choice. It's going to determine the next four years for 20 million New Yorkers in large part, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be decided by a couple hundred people in a very closed, short process. Sure. Uh, sure. I would also say that, like you, when you look at Congressman Zeldin, you know, there's a lot of vetting that hasn't been done of him and his record, both his time in supporting the Cuomo agenda, 
Um, you know, his, you know, frankly, lack of effectiveness in public life has been 15 years. He's been running for office in the same district, more or less, and he's never won crossover votes, and he's never actually delivered anything of consequence to New Yorkers. So I don't know how that record, when, you know, when, when people ask me, because I've been on record saying I don't think he can win, people ask me why, that's, that's what I talk about. It's like he hasn't proven the ability to win crossover votes. He's in a Republican district. It's R plus seven. Uh, he calls it purple, but it's not purple. If, if R plus seven is purple, then we're in trouble. <laughs> so, you know, so he's, he's never won crossover votes. And, and he's been in office a long time and never actually accomplished anything. And people, rightly so, want to see someone who's actually done something and, and, and want to deliver for them. And uh, we are we are going to hopefully have uh, Congressman Zeldin on this show this week or next week, and uh, we're going to give all the op- candidates an opportunity to be heard. If people listening to you right now, Harry, want to help out, if they want to donate, if they want to volunteer to help petition, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Well, we'll gladly take all the help we can get. We need a volunteer army to get this done. And so our website is uh, harrywilsonforgovernor.com. We also have our, our campaign Facebook page, uh, so you can reach out to us on any, either of those. You can also reach me directly at harry at harrywilsonforgovernor.com. Um, I encourage anybody listening who wants to help. Um, we, we will gladly take it. There's a lot to do, and, and uh, that's the way we're going to change the state. And you should know that uh, what, well, there's one fellow that calls this radio station constantly and has been for a year plugging you, Drew in White Plains. If you get elected, you got to keep uh, Drew in White Plains in mind for a position in the administration because he's been <laughs> your biggest fan on this station for a while. And uh, my friend Len Bernardo, uh, my old colleague from the Independence Party leadership, he's been singing your praises for uh, just as long to me privately and to anybody else that he knows privately. Best of luck, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot between now and June. Thank you so much, Frank. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Harry Wilson, Republican candidate for governor of New York. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call. 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Today, 77 WABC celebrates International Women's Day, and we're celebrating all day long, recognizing the contribution of women of all ages around the world who are leading the charge to build a more sustainable future for all. How do we use this moment to elevate what is happening instead of continually victimize ourselves? Featuring celebrities, interviews, entertaining and informative talk, 77. WABC. You see what inflation is doing. You see what the stock market is doing. I have a contingency plan that's going to keep your money secure as prices keep rising. The dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by almost 7%. In 30 days, your dollar became worth 93 cents. Inflation is not slowing down. It's escalating. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold and silver. You have to take this seriously. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased counsel based on your individual situation. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635, or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you do that, be sure to tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. 
Listen to Rudy Giuliani every weekday at 3.55 p.m. for the Tunnel of Towers Foundation. Mayor's final thoughts. Rudy gives his insightful, most candid, and important final thought of the day on topics affecting our community, our nation, and you. The mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Mayor's final thoughts. Weekdays at 3.55 p.m. on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Rihanna, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about, 800-848-WABC. This is going to be one, uh, a very, very interesting program because this is the in the uh, when did we start the show? So, uh, basically, October of 2020. In the year and a half that we've been doing this show, this is the first show that I've done. Without the aid of my trusty laptop computer. So what occurred here is I got this new laptop. And I was so in the habit of doing things under my old laptop. And the way I would do things is I would keep one power cord here at the radio station. And I kept one power cord at home. So this way I would always have a power cord to charge my laptop or to power my laptop wherever I happen to be. But I traded in my laptop Friday for a new one, and I only got one power cord. So I've been transporting it in the one day that I've done this show under with this new laptop. So I left it home last night, and as I was driving, I was approaching the Veranzano Narrows Bridge last night, and I said, I realized that I left my laptop charger home. I said, should I go back? Should I go back? I said, no, let me press on. So I uh, looked for a charger here that would fit this laptop. No dice. So I am doing this show without the aid of my trusty laptop. I think you will see a difference. I don't think it's going to be quite such a pronounced difference as, say, um, Brady Anderson or uh, Barry Bonds trying to play baseball without being being on steroids. But, you know, it's sort of uh, it is a big part of my whole thing. You know, sometimes somebody will bring up something, either a guest or a caller or uh, or a song. And I, one of my skills, I think, as a talk show host, you may not think it's a skill, is to be able to look things up super quickly. So now uh, I'm sort of, uh, I almost feel as if I'm doing the show with one hand tied behind my back. Hopefully you won't notice that uh, as much as I will. So whatever the case may be, it's going to be a very interesting three hours. Coming up around 3.30, we're going to talk with um, Michael Tracy. He's going to join us live from Poland. He's there covering this war between Russia and Ukraine. And uh, he wrote a very interesting piece about how he believes that Ukraine is essentially trying to goad us into World War III. And evidently, if 
that's characterized by the establishment of a no-fly zone, 74% of Americans actually think that we should establish a no-fly zone, which is, in my view, just nuts. But that's where three-quarters of the country is right now. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, I don't think it will come to any surprise to you that I disagree with you about the sports uh, athlete getting the year ban. Uh, y- your argument isn't that he shouldn't be punished. It's no. just the amount of punishment. That's right. Right. Well, but there's only two things that really apply. Number one, he's told every year that you don't bet on sports, that you can't bet. Number two, it's a zero tolerance policy. Now, no matter what you say, zero tolerance is zero tolerance. Right. So, so while your opinion goes either way, well, you know, you're entitled to your opinion like everybody else. But it's, it's really meaningless because the yeah. thing that really controls it is the zero tolerance policy. Yeah, well, I'm not saying they shouldn't exercise zero tolerance, but why can't they do zero tolerance with a, a five-game suspension. Why does it have to be a one-year suspension at least, a minimum, and just a suspension indefinitely? Well, I, I understand what you're saying, but it's, well, that's not our call, really. That's their call. They're the manager. Right. No, it is. It is. Sorry? Say, say you were doing payola, and Johnny Katz says, you gotta, i got to get rid of this guy. Well, which is, I think, it's the law, isn't it? If you were convicted of payola, I'm, I'm not sure, and I don't care to find out. Believe me, uh, Neil. Let's. Uh, I hope that John would give me an appropriate punishment. You know, I'll give you. And thanks for the call, Neil. Since you bring up the world of radio, I'll give you one example. Um, I used to produce the Curtis and Kuby show, right, in the morning, and our sports anchor was Warner Wolf. And Warner Wolf, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm telling any tales out of school, but whatever. This is what happens when I have no laptop. So uh, Warner Wolf uh, hated the general manager who fired him. The general manager who fired him at Channel 2 was Lou Leone, who then became the general manager at Channel 5. And Channel 5, uh, Lou Leone was the biggest fan of Curtis and Kuby, and especially Curtis Lewa. So they entered into a partnership with the radio station where they would do feature Curtis and Ron on their morning show first every day and then twice a day on Channel 5. I mean, it was great publicity for the radio station and for the show. And the ratings reflected that. We benefited from this free publicity. So um, Phil Boyce, the program director at the time, didn't want any criticism of Lou Leone on the air. Warner Wolf, legend that he is, couldn't help himself, and he made some crack uh, in an unrelated segment about Lou Leone. So Phil Boyce felt that he had to act because his directive was ignored. So he suspended Warner for one day. And I always said, the joke is, if you look at everybody on that show, Curtis, Ron, George Weber, uh, Babita, Scott Salato, me, others, um, and you say, who's the most likely person to be suspended? Warner would be last on everybody's list. But Phil suspended him for one day. One day. Now, you suspend him for one day to send a message that you broke the rules and you got to be punished. But he didn't suspend Warner for six months or a year for a couple of reasons. One, the show needed Warner. Two, because a punishment sends the message. It doesn't have to be a draconian punishment. This was my whole argument in support of um, President Trump uh, signing the bipartisan First Step Act. There is... No reason that because you make a mistake with the criminal justice system that you should spend 
20 years in prison. Again, depending on the crime. But uh, that's one of the reasons. That's one, I think, one of President Trump's greatest accomplishments is signing of the First Step Act and real criminal justice reform. Coming up, uh, we'll talk a little bit about about this Russia-Ukraine situation, and uh, we'll go live to Poland in a bit. We'll also sift through your best and worst email. You can email me, frank.morano, at wabcradio.com. In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Have your dog or cat spayed or neutered. WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC. And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. Good morning. I'm Frank Diaz. A third set of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine ended yesterday with little progress. As a Ukrainian official said, the Kremlin was engaging in, quote, tactics reminiscent of medieval siege warfare. A President Vladimir Putin spokesperson says Russia has told Ukraine it will halt its invasion in a moment if Kiev agrees to give up three key regions. Moscow's demanding Ukraine cease military action and acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory and recognize the separatist republics of Donetsk and Lugansk as independent states. The Supreme Court left in place Monday an opinion by Pennsylvania's highest court that overturned comedian Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction, rejecting a bid from the Pennsylvania prosecutors to review the decision. Cosby was convicted of aggravated indecent assault in 2018 for drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant in his Pennsylvania home in 2004. He was sentenced to three to ten years in a state prison. Your forecast on the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center, sunny today with a high near 48. we got some uh, wind, so be careful out there. Later tonight, a slight chance of rain and snow after 4 a.m., increasing clouds with a low around 34. Right now, 46 degrees and clear at 2.01. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano continues next. I'm Frank Diaz, and remember the news never stops at wabcradio.com. 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, we are watching this war in Europe. And uh, look, it, there's no doubt about it. If you look at what's occurred here, Russia and Vladimir Putin specifically have behaved in, in my view, an indefensible manner. Uh, this is a violation of international law. This was, in my judgment, unnecessary and irrational And um, there are a lot of people that are dying because of Russia's aggression. But as we stand here now, as we sit here now, I don't know whether you're sitting or standing or lying down, whatever the case may be, 
The United States is still buying Russian oil. Okay, now we can have a discussion, which we will in a bit, about whether or not that's a, a sound policy or not. But the United States is still buying Russian oil, thereby funding in part Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yet at the same time, and I talked about this uh, when it came to denunciations last Friday, but I, when I brought this up again on the Cats Roundtable Sunday morning with John Katsimatidis and Richard Schwartz and others, I so many people wrote to me about this, asking questions about it, uh, w- wanting me to expand upon my thoughts on it. So I figured let me bring this up again because this is not an issue that's going away. At the same time that America is permitting the purchase of Russian oil, American organizations are canceling Russian musicians who do not directly denounce Vladimir Putin. Now, Vladimir Putin, I'll remind you, is the man who wields power over not just their livelihoods, but their lives. So it's easy to be smug. It's easy to be self-congratulatory and make these grand gestures where the elites who don't have family or friends that are affected by what Vladimir Putin does, it's easy to make these gestures of, oh, we're high and mighty. We're denouncing Putin. But it's very difficult to do when you're actually Russian or you have family that's in Russia. And again, the danger of putting political prohibitions on art and artists is substantial. And I want us to think about this because, in my view, musicians should make music. Artists should make art. Actors should act. When I go see a a, a film or watch a television show or go to a concert or uh, listen to a a whatever, go to a play, whatever, I don't need to know the political views of anybody that's performing in that play. And I don't need the actors or the musicians or the writers or whomever to denounce the people that I think are worthy of denunciation. Now, conductor Valerie Gurgiev and soprano Anna Netrebko are probably the two greatest Russian classical musicians of our time. And New York cultural um, institutions showed both of them the door. First, Carnegie Hall announced the day before Gurgiev was set to star, start a three-concert run with the Vienna Philharmonic that he'd be replaced with someone else. The first concert last Friday was, um, you know, uh, you not only saw him out, but you saw the Russian pianist Denis Matsuev out. The storied venue gave no explanation for the switch, and it didn't announce a replacement for the notoriously difficult second piano concerto, uh, seeing Jin Cho until the day of the show. The Vienna Philharmonic is one of the world's top orchestras, and with the great Gurgiev at the helm, ticket prices were high, and the show was always sold out. Now, uh, Cho, Sing Jin Cho, flew in from Berlin that morning. He hadn't performed the rock second in two and a half years. He gave a good performance, but some concert goers described it as weak. And there were empty seats after intermission. Carnegie Hall later wrote to attendees, admitting 
the audience experience this weekend did not meet the standards to which we aspire, including longer than usual line. Then came Netrebko. This is a genuine opera diva. She has been a favorite of the Metropolitan Opera for years. She headlined their New Year's Eve gala back in 2019. Now she's out. She won't grace the stage in April and May for her highly anticipated debut as Taryn Doe. In fact, she may never grace the stage of the Metropolitan Opera again. This is what the general manager of the Met said in a statement. Anna is one of the greatest singers in Met history. But with Putin killing innocent victims in Ukraine, there was no way forward. It's hard to imagine a scenario in which she will return to the Met. Now, Netrebko is not a supporter of the war in Ukraine. It's not as if she's saying, yeah, go Putin, denazify Ukraine, kill those Ukrainians. She's not saying that. She said the following. This is a quote. I am opposed to this senseless war of aggression, and I am calling on Russia to end this war right now to save all of us. We need peace right now. But the Met gave her an ultimatum, insisting that that statement wasn't enough. She had to go further and directly denounce Putin. Um, now, this is crazy. This is absolutely insane. This is someone, in the case of Gurgiev and Netrebko, they both have family in Russia. Now, how do you think their families are going to be treated by Vladimir Putin if the Met puts out a statement uh, or Carnegie Hall puts out a statement of Netrebko denouncing Putin? It's not good enough that she denounced the war. Peter Gelb ought to be ashamed of himself. This woman's family is in Russia. That's the head of the, the Met. And they're forcing her to denounce Putin after she already denounced the war. I would like to know if Peter Gelb applies these same standards when it comes to China. I'm being rhetorical because he doesn't. I don't think this is appropriate at all. Um, Peter Gelb, by the way, was uh, is the son of the longtime managing editor of the New York Times. And he made his career, from what I am told, in large part due to his dad's connections. Meantime, he had no problem approving the production of an anti-Semitic opera back in 2014. And he tried to sweep conductor James Levine's sex abuse of a minor and others under the rug. Who is this jerk to judge Netrebko? One of the greatest artists, one of the greatest singers, not just living, but of all time. This guy ought to be ashamed of himself, in my judgment. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's one 800 848-WABC. Have you, and I will take your calls on uh, that in just a minute, but have you seen the price of gasoline of late? It is, uh, you know, Bob, Bob, when he was on the air, always used to say, uh, the world is sick and getting sicker. 
Well, the price of gasoline is high and getting higher. And uh, President Biden has a very interesting plan, if you can call it that, to to um, lower energy prices, right? Because this is going to affect not just people that drive, but it's going to affect the price of everything. The cost of goods at the grocery store, which was already in inflation inflated, is going to get a whole lot worse because you have to drive this stuff there. So Biden has an interesting plan. Have you heard about this? The plan is to beg Saudi Arabia for more money. He's even talking about going, not more money, more oil, and to beg OPEC to pump more oil and to beg domestic energy producers, the same people and the same industry that he has had no problem villainizing these last two and a half years to pump more oil. And now he's even talking about going to Saudi Arabia to meet with the Saudis about this. Now, Again, I know every president does this. Uh, you remember when President Trump had the prohibition on Venezuelan oil? He had to go to OPEC and the Russians and ask them to pump more oil. And it's not simply just a matter of, oh, you know, the, uh, President Biden should approve more domestic drilling and he should okay the Keystone Pipeline. Now, I, I think he should approve the Keystone Pipeline. But that would not increase the oil supply right now, and that would not lower the price right now. If you put an oil rig in the ground today, that will not be reflected in terms of uh, actual increased supply of petroleum for about six months. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it, but that's not a solution for right now. That's a solution for six months from now, which uh, by the looks of things, we're still going to be dealing with this in six months. Oh, I got to tell you, somebody that I um, don't often agree with is uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and she's a uh, she's part of the squad. She is a Democratic congresswoman uh, from um, uh, Minnesota, and this is an area where I think left and right are coming together to criticize this uh, this Biden plan to become even more dependent on Saudi Arabia. This is what uh, Ilhan Omar tweeted. Uh, Okay. Our response, I agree with every word she said here. Our response to Putin's immoral war shouldn't be to strengthen our relationship with the Saudis, who are currently causing the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet in Yemen. And then she added, Yemenis might not matter to some geopolitically, but their humanity should. This is a wildly immoral act. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Saudi Arabia is not just a dictatorship. They are a Muslim theocracy that until a few years ago didn't even allow women to drive. They are a country which has been far too cozy with al-Qaeda and ISIS and has done whatever they could to get information about the 9-11 hijackers, most of whom came from Saudi Arabia, from coming out. Marco Rubio, the top Republican on the Senate Intelligence Committee, 
said America can easily replace Putin oil by producing more of our own. Instead, the Biden plan is to beg Saudi Arabia to produce more, buy more from a narco-terrorist Maduro regime in Venezuela, and cut a deal with the world's leading state sponsor of terror in Iran. Look, whatever you feel about Iran, whatever you feel about Venezuela, whatever you feel about Russia, this Biden plan to become even more dependent on Saudi oil, it does nothing to make Americans safer, and it does nothing to improve America's long-term position in the international community. You're welcome to comment on that if you like as well. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Larry in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, I couldn't agree with you more about both points, but about the opera. You know, uh, first of all, arts and politics should not have to go hand in hand. She should be able to just do her her art without saying anything. Now, I can see if she said something pro-Putin. That of course, would be of course. If she put out a statement that said, oh, you know, Vladimir Putin's right to get rid of all these Nazis in Ukraine – uh, of course, who's going to want to come see that? But she didn't say anything except that she's opposed to the war. Right. And this idiot, he doesn't understand that Putin gets revenge on families. There was a journalist that came out, Maria Baranova, quit her job, and she said, uh, Putin just kills. He doesn't give any warnings. He just kills, you know. And these people know what they're dealing with. And, and he should know what he's dealing with also, this opera idiot, you know. I mean, he really should be fired from his position. You know what it is, and and thank you, Larry. Uh, I, I this is cancel culture run amok. This is worse than cancel culture. This, we're now in a position where people are losing their jobs, not for anything they've said, but for refusing to say things. That's nuts. That's nuts. I, I just I I cannot wrap my head around this, and I, and I have a feeling that. Once the fog of war lifts and we look at what's happening now, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's two years from now, and we get to look at this through sober eyes, I think we're going to say, okay, that was just crazy. That was just crazy. This is uh, Bill Maher uh, being canceled from ABC. It's the Dixie Chicks not being played on the radio. It's uh, renaming French fries as Freedom Fries. This is nuts, in my opinion. You're welcome to disagree. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Frank, I am going to have to disagree with you because... How dare you? I think your listeners don't know the full story about Valery Gergiev. It was Putin who made him. Um, he w- was fairly well known when he met Putin... It was then unknown, but it was Putin who gave him millions of rubles to build up his Marinsky Theater in St. Petersburg, the former Leningrad. And uh, not only that, uh, Gergiev has endorsed everything except for uh, remaining silent about about the Ukraine war. He has endorsed his uh, invasion of Georgia. He endorsed his takeover of Crimea, and uh, Nebetkrov also endorsed the takeover of Crimea back in 2014. 
What you and your listeners may not know is that this has also been a worldwide reaction. It is not just Americans. Within a week after uh, Gurgiev was announced by Carnegie Hall that he would not conduct the Vienna Philharmonic concerts, and I went to all three. Um, and as as a quick aside, he was also canceled from the entire Vienna Philharmonic tour. Yannick Nizay-Seguin, who is the Met Opera's director and also is Philadelphia Orchestra's director, conducted the first four concerts of the tour, including the three in New York. And then David Robertson, who is now in charge of uh, conducting studies at Juilliard, conducted the last concert that was on the tour, the last two being in Naples, Florida. But within days after the cancellations, and Carnegie had also announced within hours before the first concert uh, that Friday night that they were ushering, canceling uh, Gurgiev's May tour to New York City with his Marinsky Orchestra. But the following week, every major festival in Europe canceled him. Uh, La Scala had demanded a statement from him saying that he would ask for peace. Uh, when that statement was not forthcoming, he was fired from there. Munich not only demanded a statement, and he was right, principal right, again, Munich John, Philharmonic I, I don't for years. Think, I don't think a whole bunch of people engaging in cancel culture makes it right, but why not let just these musicians focus on playing music? Well, here's the big difference. Within hours of the invasion, Yevgeny Kissin, who's probably Russia's greatest living pianist, denounced the invasion and, and Putin. Uh, Seven Bishkov, who has also lived here in New York, uh, he's a Russian-American uh, conductor, and he's now principal conductor at Czech Philharmonic, not only condemned the invasion and Putin, but he described what's going on in Ukraine as analogous to what we saw in Europe in World War II. So you have these prominent Russian musicians who are going out of the way to denounce both the invasion and Putin, while Gurgiev, who's been known as Putin's pet, uh, remained conspicuously... How about Netrebko? How about Netrebko? She also was silent until she issued a tepid apology. Well, so when she says, I am opposed to this senseless war of aggression, and I am calling on Russia to end this war right now to save all of us, we need peace right now. What about that is tepid? Well, the thing was, she was pressured to say that. Right, but so once she says it, why why can't we let her perform? Are Are we now judging performers not only for being silent, but for not being, uh, you know, sufficiently rah-rah with the cause of the Ukrainians? But again, as I said, you're missing my point. When you have these two notable Russian musicians in Bishkov and Kissin going out of the way. Right, so because two Russian musicians did it, everyone's got to do it. It doesn't sit right with me. They want to speak out. God bless them. Let's not cancel them. Uh, Other people want to make different statements or not make statements at all. God bless them. Again, again, maybe it's just a difference in in what I'm looking for in a performer versus what you're looking for, John, and I respect your, your difference of opinion, and thank you for the call. When I um, when I am uh, watching a musical performance, I'm interested in music. 
I'm not interested in because two Russian musicians spoke out having all of them speak out. I, I, I think that's just crazy, to be quite honest. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Agree, disagree, whatever you like. All right. Uh, we have Booby in Center Reach, Long Island. Hello, Booby. No, this is Bobby, Frank. Ah, and well. Molly, good morrow to you. <laughs> Molly's got, uh, I guess, boobs on the brain. Uh, <laughs> okay, listen, I'm going to say something about the oil. Now, when you said if we start drilling again, it's going to take six months. Uh, well, if we put a new rig in, I mean, there there are people that already are in a position to drill or to frack. They can they're in a position to ramp up production much more okay. quickly, and, and and it goes the other way too. I mean, um, there's a re and look when d- during COVID during the pandemic when uh, the price of oil fell because no one was driving to work and no one was going to work. All of the American oil companies were really hurt by them. By that, President Trump had to go to OPEC and ask them to pump less so that the price wouldn't be so low so that the American energy sector wouldn't be hurt as much as they were poised uh, to be hurt. So it goes both ways, but yes. All right, so one more thing I want to say. Now, if we don't open the tap or start drilling, what happens if in three months from now it's decided that not send no more oil or gas to America. What do we do then? Get horses and stagecoaches? No. (laughs) I think we might be headed in that direction uh, to begin with. I I do wonder. uh, No, you're right. Look, I'm all for increased domestic energy production. I'm all for uh, not just drilling, but exploring all sorts of other opportunities for energy production. But uh, the bottom line is right now we use a lot of petroleum in this country, and uh, I'm all for, uh, you know, uh, ramping things up. But I really – I agree with Omar and Rubio that the solution is not to go begging the Saudi princes hat in hand, oh, please pump more oil, please pump more oil. I don't think that's the the solution. That's exactly right. That's why I like you, Frank. Thank you, Booby. 800-848-WABC. Charlie is in Queens. Hello, Charlie. Yes, hi. First, I want to give you a very uh, serious compliment. I tell some of my friends that I start listening to the Frank Marana show at about 1 o'clock when it starts. And I figure, look, at 2 o'clock, I go to sleep. And I most of the time listen to most of it. They're telling me, what can be so interesting about that? I tell him, listen to it. Somehow he puts on, I don't know how he does it, but he puts on a phenomenal show just about every single night. Well, that's really nice of you, Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm telling you the honest truth. But I want to say those two things. One, I've gotten over, not gotten over, but the insanity of the left, they can't surprise me anymore with their madness. Like, you're very frustrated about the uh, opera thing. The woman, uh, uh, yeah, so am I. But that's not the worst they've done. It, it, they're mad. They just they, it, they pass the point that they get they get angrier again. They did this again. Of course they did it again. That's who they are. That's like their religion. You know, they, they're they're nuts. They're just absolutely like Savage used to always say. It's a mental disease. That's it. Well, Charlie, thanks for the call. Look, I don't. Um, I I'm, I think you can be left wing or right wing, and still recognize that artists should have the right to just be artists and athletes should have the right to uh, just be athletes. You remember um, Laura Ingram had written a book maybe 15 years ago by now. Uh, I think it was shut up and sing. And that was her whole premise. 
that if you're a performer, nobody wants to hear your views on politics and everything else. Now we're in a position. Now, if you listen to what John said, and I like John, and I've met John personally. He's a really nice guy and a smart guy. But if you listen to what John said, basically his argument for canceling these Russian performers was, well, two other musicians spoke out. So to me, that doesn't hold water. So because two performers had the gumption, the temerity, the bravery, the courage to speak out and call Putin, um, as uh, call him out as an international criminal, we're now demanding that everybody that's Russian do it? I don't think so. I, I think that's really irresponsible. And I think it's incredibly short-sighted. And I, I was pleased to see an op-ed in the New York Post this weekend basically saying the same thing. And I was pleased most of the folks that on the Cats Roundtable that uh, responded to my comments on this Sunday agreed with me. But this is the one issue that everybody should agree on. I don't care whether you're Russian, Ukrainian, American, Canadian, whatever. You can't cancel a performer because her denunciation of the war isn't in, isn't sufficiently enthusiastic for your liking. It's not right. 800-848-WABC. We'll go through the mail in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. TikTok. 77 WABC is now on TikTok. TikTok. At 77 WABC Radio. With exclusive content, behind-the-scenes fun, news of the day, and so much more. TikTok. On TikTok at 77 WABC Radio. TikTok. Hey, folks, warmer days will be here soon. Now's the time to get healthier and lose that fat you put on the past couple of years. You can lose that winter weight by spring. Since it only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40-plus pounds with my friends at NJ Diet. Their contractually guaranteed program is unlike any of those other diet plans you may have tried. Dr. T. Arthur Turovitz, he knows what he's doing. It all starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then, NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life it's all natural no shots no hormones no surgery no feeling hungry and absolutely no pre-packaged foods not sure if you can do it alone no problem nj dot is with you every step of the way you're fully monitored to make sure you're burning fat not just losing water you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number nj diet in new york new jersey connecticut or from home with live online video consultations visit njdiet.com or call 855-5nj diet that's nj diet Com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC.
other side of midnight. You recognize this artist? They are, I think, a one-hit wonder. This is uh, Heart and Soul by Tapau. Um, do you know why they're called Tapau? Those of you that are Star Trek fans will know why they're called Tapau. So Tapau, in the Star Trek episode, A Mock Time, and then I think again in Star Trek Three, she's sort of the Vulcan high priestess, but certainly in a mock time. I don't know if it was clear that that was the same character in Star Trek Three. In fact, I'm not sure if it was, especially now that I don't have a laptop to quickly look things up. But she was certainly the Vulcan high priestess in uh, a mock time, and she's great in that. They named their band after Tapau. How cool is that? Heart and Soul, a, a fine, fine song, if ever there was one. All right. Uh, we ask throughout the week for you to write to us. So um, we thought it might be a worthy opportunity or worth going through some of your... to us uh, in the form of a postcard. The postcard is emboldened with Clifton, New Jersey. Uh, it says, Dear Frank and Rachel, Mazel tov on the birth of little Carmine. So happy for you. Longtime fan, Valerie DeVry. Thank you very much, Valerie. Matt, a little bit of uh, mail music, please, if you can. Uh, this is an article. Oh, this is interesting. This is an article that somebody had sent me. I think this is from... Uh, I don't remember who this is from. I didn't save the envelope, unfortunately. But I thought this was very, very clever. It's a handwritten note, and it says, and it's got like a catalog cut out to it. It says, Frank, buy this for mom and baby. And then it gives the number. And, bu- bu- and buy the T-shirt for yourself. Happy Year of the Tiger. It is indeed the Year of the Tiger. And this is the T-shirt that is in this catalog that this listener Mailed me. It's a mom's shirt, I guess, that says, I'm so tired. And then it's a baby onesie that says, I'm not tired. And then for me, and there's an arrow that says for Frank Morano. And I actually think I might buy this this T-shirt because it's so perfect for me. I'm not really much of a T-shirt wearer, but this T-shirt is right up my alley. It's, it's a shirt with a giant stack of books that says on it, I assume I'll die when my stack of unread books falls on me. I have to tell you, that really resonates with me because um, we uh, this stack of unread books that I have is just getting larger and larger. So uh, that is, you know, that is that. Um, Molly, was, there were some other letters that you had selected as well um the 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 ones that didn't get picked for last week the the second the not top five from from last week but uh, but this week um this is uh, an email this is a letter from elaine wolf who writes hello frank wrote this poem for the introduction of your great show so hope you like it anyway miss you miss you elaine uh, uh, elaine wolf and this is the poem i was going to have 
Molly read this, but I have her hunting down these other um, these other uh, letters because she's actually quite an experienced short form poet herself. But this is what Elaine Wolf wrote. This is not my poem. This is Elaine's poem. He's on the other side. Oh yes, that's right. He's on seventy seven WABC one to five. His nightly radio ride to educate us all to down those walls. Keep listening to his show, and we all will grow. Does his show with pride, the callers in their stride. Now, as this is to the to end, Frank Morano is our friend. It's the Frank Morano Show, the only way to go. That's very nice. It's almost kind of like uh, that I almost could be in Bullworth, the great Warren Beatty poem. This is a very nice card, uh, and I'm sorry I'm just getting to these mail, this mail now, but we were a little backed up. Um, this is from Joanne Kowalski, who writes... Dear Frank and Rachel, well, there's some kind of personal stuff congratulating us on um, the baby and everything. Then she goes on to say, Frank, I'm a 67-year-old retired widow who has been a longtime listener to talk and sports radio thanks to my late dad, Willie. You keep me up most nights listening to your show with the radio under my pillow. You pique my interest, make me think, inform me, and make me laugh. I don't always agree with you on some political issues, but that's fine and what it's all about. My heartfelt wishes go out to you for a beautiful, healthy, fun life together and a few hours of sleep here and there. And Frank, no cigar smoking near Carmine. That's a very nice note, very nice card from Joanne. All right, on to the email. Subject, this is from, I think, I don't know, someone with the last name of Kelly. Dear Mr. Morano, and by the way, when you write to me, oh, this is from Martin, excuse me. When you write to me, you don't have to call me Mr. Morano. We consider ourselves pretty friendly. You can call me Frank. Just a short response to your claim near the end of your radio show this morning that the single bullet theory is false or worthy of contempt. There is no evidence against the single bullet analysis. HSCA spent two years studying the JFK assassination and ratified that one bullet, CE-399, went through JFK and Governor Connolly, yada, 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 yada. Do you actually believe that hundreds of educated people who've served the country on the committees to study JFK's murder couldn't reason about the single bullet? And to sully Specter's name without analysis defies moral rigor, to say the least. The popular view you asserted this morning is a tabloid version and is easily believed by people who've not studied the case. Well, let's not look at the people that haven't studied the case. Let's look at people that have. Let's look at Dr. Cyril Wecht, who's been a guest on this show, one of the best regarded forensic pathologists in history and uh, somebody that actually was uh, worked on the uh, autopsy of JFK and told the Warren Commission, in contrast to what Dr. Michael Bodden said, told the Warren Commission that the single bullet theory was nonsense. It defies any sort of common sense. Look, there are people that are smart that believe it. You're not going to sell that to me. The single bullet theory, I don't care if you believe Oswald acted alone or whatever the case may be. The single bullet theory doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'll just say that. Or the magic bullet, as... uh, Kevin Costner says in that movie. Uh, this comes to us from Rocky Shore. Hi, Frank. Great shore, great show and great guest today. Best regards to you, Rachel and Carmine. 
Douglas McGregor is absolutely right to call out the media, including Fox News. The press is now distracted and looking the other way when it comes to Zelensky's corrupt government. A handsome man does not make an honest one. And then he goes on to say, Curtis Lewa is a pathological liar. The lies about you are cruel, brutally dishonest and unforgiving. My mood is even more agitated when you make excuses for his despicable behavior. Also, Curtis should be ordered by his boss to return every penny he took from that man who, in good faith, supported his campaign and then shockingly was rewarded with insults and humiliation. Is Curtis also disrespectful to his new co-host, Anthony Weiner, the obscene convicted sex predator? Now, a couple of things. Um, you know, people can have whatever opinion they want about Colonel, Colonel McGregor. You got to ease up on Curtis. You can't take it too seriously. It's just a show. He's having some fun. The bottom line is Curtis can say whatever he wants about me. Um, We're very good friends and he's been a very good friend to me behind the scenes as well. And guys, I I appreciate your getting offended here, but if I'm not upset by anything Curtis says, you shouldn't be either. I find a lot of it very funny. And it's usually done in the context of promoting this show. So Give Curtis a break. Uh, Christine writes on the subject of homework. Hi, Frank. I continue to love your show. If I can't catch it at night, I listen to your podcast for sure. I've even got my husband listening. This is late, but I wanted to address your question about whether homework should be eliminated from school. Here's my answer as a teacher. Since asking question is, in my opinion, one of the best things we can do, And since most of us don't do this, but instead are mostly engaged in defending our opinions, opinions that are often unexamined, I think most of the homework should come in the form of questions. So, for example, if the American Revolution was the subject covered in class, students' homework would be three questions about it. These can be what-if questions, clarification questions, or questions that ask for more information. The next day, these students can get into groups and examine the questions They'll get used to classifying in their heads the three different types of questions. If the subject is factual like math, they can be given one problem to solve and bring in one to three questions that ask for clarification on something related to the problem only if they have a question. This might get kids less afraid to ask questions when they're confused. That's it. I'm organizing a band of women who are willing to be stand-ins for your wife when she can't make it to an event you need to attend. Kidding. Best always, Christine. Well, that's very kind. Um, Christine, trust me. Rachel is looking for as many stand-ins for her in as many of her wifely duties as possible. Believe me. Uh, this, This is from Elizabeth in Bradenton, Florida. The lady who didn't know a feather in your cap might be a total idiot, but she wouldn't eat those eggs. Be a hero and throw them out. Your show is a lifesaver, and I don't want you to get sick. And uh, on that front, Christopher writes, oh, boy, this is lengthy. I'm not reading this whole thing. Uh, But basically, the subject is, the guy who wants to change the discourse calls a schoolteacher stupid. Frank, you keep asking how we can change the discourse in the United States. Do you really mean it? Last night, you called a schoolteacher stupid. Multiple times because she had a brain cramp on national TV. If that was enough, you said you kept your infant son away from the TV so he wouldn't be exposed to such stupidity. Really? You also made claims that the woman should lose her job. Huh? What insight do you have 
to this woman in her life that you can make such claims. And then he goes on and on and on. But uh, I'll just say it was my wife that made the decision to keep our son away from the television. Not not me. Uh, Anna writes in Washington Heights, you once said that you called into radio shows before you were on the radio yourself. You said you called uh, Alan Combs and Sam Greenfield. What was that like with each host? Were they both nice? Did they get to know you? Who else did you call? I I called a lot of hosts over the years. I called Bob Grant. I called Jay Diamond. I called Curtis. I called um, called a lot of folks over the years. And, uh, I mean, they're... I wouldn't say they got to know me as a caller. They would talk to me for a, a couple of seconds and then I'd move on. You know, one of the fellas that was real nice was Alan Combs, who I suggested that he have on a guest one time. And then the guest was a friend of mine. And then Alan invited me down to the studio when he was on WEVD to kind of sit in on the show while the guest was on. That was really nice and uh, really very, 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 very kind. And I miss Alan Combs. He was a great guy. Uh, This is from Ellen on the subject of Russia and Ukraine. Hi, Frank. I have to express my appreciation to you. I've always admired your impressive and eclectic selection of guests as well as your skill in interviewing them. But for the last few weeks, I've been particularly impressed with your handling of the Russian-Ukrainian war. You've provided us with a multitude of well-respected guests with varying points of view. All with your typical skill in masterful interviewing and all without any prejudice on your part. Even though you let us know your feelings, you never rammed them down our throats. You presented us with many guests, informing us and trusting us to listen and make up our own minds. Um, The situation in Ukraine is painful and heart-wrenching. And unfortunately, no matter which side we believe, I'm sure none of us can get the images of the refugees out of our minds. That's awfully nice. Ellen, thank you. That email actually made my day. That's in stark contrast with this email from Tom, who writes, The NATO expansion that all of your guests continue to harp on is no more responsible for the atrocities being committed in Ukraine in 2022 than the Treaty of Versailles or other causes that led to World War II was responsible for the murder of 6 million Jews and countless others in the 1940s. The crimes against humanity in World War II were Hitler's crimes, just as the crimes against humanity now in progress in Ukraine are Putin's. If there is a war crimes crimes tribunal in The Hague, NATO expansion will not be in the dock. Putin will be... And if his defense is that Western policies made him do it, he will be hanged. Well, it is interesting. Interesting points, Tom. And uh, you're certainly entitled to that view. Somebody that disagrees with you is President Biden. Well, I shouldn't say President Biden. I should say Senator Biden. Listen to this audio of Senator Joe Biden. Uh, We'll go back in time to the year 1997 when he said this. I think the one place where the greatest consternation would be caused in the short term for admission, having nothing to do with the merit and preparedness of the country to come in, would be to admit the Baltic states now in terms of NATO-Russian, U.S.-Russian relations. And if there was ever anything that was going to tip the balance were it to be tipped in terms of a vigorous and hostile reaction, I don't mean military, in Russia, it would be that. Did you hear what Joe Biden said? Joe Biden has said the same thing 
that guest after guest on this show has said that if you admit the Baltic states into NATO, that would lead to the kind of reaction, he said non-military, but a hostile reaction from Russia, the kind we've been seeing. So take it up with Joe Biden, at least the Joe Biden of 1997. Uh, this is a letter here. Um, I don't, I can't read who it's from. But it says, Frank, grow up. Your friend is after your job. You refuse to see and accept that he is a sociopath. In the past, he has proven he came for no He cares for no one but himself. You nurtured him in the past. I suggest you try to distance yourself from him off the air. You think you need him more than you do. His weekend program was spent insulting you. Respect your strengths. I can't read the signature. Again, I, I think you need to just understand when Curtis is what a mama Luke just joking around. I, I think you guys are taking Curtis way, way too seriously. Some of you can't even chew gum and think at the same uh, time. This fine, and finally, I'll end with this. This is an email from Hal Stevens who writes: uh, the live video stream looks great, but I don't understand why one you don't promote it more. The problem with the WABCRadio.tv link is that it doesn't embed in the chat room. I use your YouTube link here, and then he links to a YouTube link. Uh, link. And as you can see, there are only four viewers, and the chat room is silent. Without an active chat room, it's impossible to build up viewers. Two, I don't understand. I also don't understand why they switched to Vimeo for Sid and Bernie. There's no chat room, and those rooms should be used for questions and comments read on the air from time to time. Well, so let me address point one first here. So we have been, since Friday, doing a live video stream of this show. And so to answer your question, how, as to why I, ha- and if you want to watch this right now, anybody, you can go to WABCRadio.tv. So to answer your question as to why I haven't promoted this more is for basically three reasons. One, I'm a radio guy, right? I think that, um, and I realize this is not a fashionable thing to say, but I believe that radio really is theater of the mind. It's about painting pictures with words and sounds and crafting pictures in people's brains with word and sound. So I like for people to listen to this show without picture so they can hear how we use sound effects, how we incorporate audio, how we paint pictures with words um, in the style that radio has done so well for the last hundred years. Additionally, um, it just has started. So I wanted to give the video team, and I know they're all working hard, um, Crystal and uh, and Eric and uh, Dan and uh, a guy who might be named Joe and Gabby. Uh, they're all working very hard on the graphics and everything. I wanted to give them some time to iron out any kinks uh, before we started telling everybody to watch this. Um, three, I am much heavier now than I prefer to be. I would say I'm about 30 pounds overweight. Now I am in the process of losing weight and Lent is my season to really slim down. And if you're looking at the video now at WABCRadio.tv, you compare this to what I'm going to look like in four weeks, forget about it. You're going to be blown away. It's going to be a great before and after photo. So I'm a little self-conscious. I don't like seeing uh, my five chins on this uh, video stream. That's why, you know, I turn off the monitor that they have in the studio because I find it just so distracting to look at the job of the hut that is staring at me on this video monitor. And then lastly, nobody asked me to. Until yesterday, nobody asked me 
to promote the video feed on the show. And yesterday, our boss, Chad Lopez, asked me to do just that. So I'm asking everybody to, if you feel like checking out the video feed, go to WABCRadio.tv. And you could find uh, us on YouTube as well. Um, and uh, I will check in on the chat from time to time. And uh, you can um, you can go ahead and do your thing. Now, um, th- as far as your second question about why Bernie and Sid switched to Vimeo instead of the YouTube, I uh, that is because, as I understand it, the dictators of information that run the world over at YouTube determined that there was some false information that was broadcast on that YouTube channel. And I don't know if it was related to COVID or something else or election fraud or the war in Ukraine, but whatever the case may be, they determined that there were multiple strikes on that YouTube account and they're prohibiting them from broadcasting live. So I imagine after the, the, the powers that be, the dictators at YouTube wave their magic wand and decide to absolve Bernie and Sid for whatever perceived sin that their misinformation created, they will be back on YouTube. And in the meantime, the Vimeo production still looks good to me. All right. Uh, that is this week's edition of The Mail. If you didn't get to me this week, write to me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and we will read your email on the next or your snail mail on the next edition of... This is Curtis Sleva. For more than 30 years, when cancer is the issue, my number one source for straight cancer information, guidance, and treatment is Dr. Lederman. Dr. Lederman is cutting edge and the first in America with non-invasive, no-cutting, no-bleeding, highly successful body radio surgery for new and reoccurring cancers. Even if prior chemo, surgery, or radiation didn't work, isn't tolerated or wanted. For prostate cancers... He's the one, and I know best from my personal experience, avoiding radical robotic surgery and all of its many complications. He's a prostate cancer body expert, breast, lung, pancreas, liver, kidney, and more. Conveniently located at 38th and Broadway, accepts most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid. Dr. Lederman's exemplary prostate cancer treatment with better results, sexual and urinary life, and avoiding deforming surgery are best for you. Call Dr. Lederman. 212 Choices. That's 212 Choices. Opening for an estimator in New York, New York by JRM Construction Management, LLC. Duties are to prepare detailed conceptual budgets from pre-construction, concept design, schematic design, and design developed documents. Perform detailed takeoffs of all trades. Initiate and manage entire bid process, CM and GC, inclusive of preparation of detailed bid packages and assure accurate and proper submissions proposals by all subcontractors. Accurately level all subcontractor bids. Negotiate and purchase all subcontractors, including the issuance of purchase orders. Maintain vendor relationships. Collaborate with engineers, architects, clients, and subcontractors. Interfacing with field team by communicating deliverable and procurement schedules. Requires a bachelor's degree or higher in construction and facilities management, plus four years of experience in budgeting, estimating ground-up residential, hospitality, mixed-use, and large-scale renovation projects with three years' experience, reading commercial construction, 
construction plans and specifications. Three years experience with value engineering, three years in proposal writing, three years experience in budgeting commercial construction project, and three years experience with New York City subcontractor vendor management. Mail resumes to JRM Construction Management, LLC. Attention Anna Levitt, 242 West 36th Street, Suite 11, New York, New York, 10018, or by email at alevitt at jrmcm.com. That's alevitt at jrmcm.com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Johnny Remember Me by John Layton. want to remind you, if you listen to this show, I hope you join the Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, just search on Facebook. Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. We also have just a standard regular Facebook page, which if you join the Facebook page, you could see a very, very nice photograph of my son Carmine that I posted over the weekend for National Sun's Day. In the Facebook group, John Scandalios writes, Great interview by Frank of gubernatorial candidate Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson has my vote. All right. Okay. So... It shows paid. Harry Wilson got at least one vote by coming on this show. I like Harry Wilson. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not a Republican, so I'll let them work out who their nominee is. But, um, you know, I like it. I'm going to have everybody on, and um, they're going to all get the the same level of questioning from me that Harry Wilson, Andrew Giuliani, Rob Astorino got. Now, uh, speaking of my son, Carmen, again, you can see his photograph at Facebook.com slash fan. Want to congratulate him. I hope he's not listening now because that means he's awake. Yesterday during this program, I got word from his mother that he set a new record for sleeping of almost six hours. Almost six hours. Now, in his whole life, I don't think he slept six hours in a row. Now, <laughs> you'd think that would be an opportunity for my wife to get some sleep, but uh, but no, she kept getting getting up. Because she was concerned that something was wrong because she's so used to getting up every two hours. So I hope that is a trend that continues, not only because I want her to get some sleep, but because my wife says as soon as he's in the habit of sleeping through the night, we can schedule another trip to Atlantic City, which I'm very eager to do. I've been away far, far too long. You know, it's interesting. He always seems to sleep at inopportune times. So I watch him. Uh, from the time I get home around 6.30 until about 9 a.m., and then again from um, one when I wake up around 1 p.m. until uh, my wife finishes work around 5 p.m. And he doesn't sleep much when I'm watching him, which I'd love for him to do. I'd love for him to sleep for the whole two hours that I'm with him so I could get some sleep as well. But the other day... So we have a babysitter that stays with him from 9 to 1, and she's a great lady. She's a friend of mine. 
long before she watched uh, Carmine. The other day, so she's with him four hours a day. The other day, he was with her, and we're paying her, you know, $20 an hour. And he was with her, and he slept for two hours. Now, those are not the two hours that this kid should be sleeping. Let him sleep two hours when he's with me or his mother. I, I always feel I feel like she should give us a discount when he's sleeping and she's watching him when he's sleeping. But I guess that's not the way the cookie crumbles. 800-848-WABC. Those of you that are holding, um, we only have a minute left here, so I don't want you to rush through your comments. I will take your calls at the top of the hour. For the rest of you, you can give us a call at 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And um, coming up in about a half hour, we're going to go live to Poland, where one of my favorite journalists, Michael Tracy, is going to join us on this Russia-Ukraine war. Mike Tracy is probably one of the only people on Twitter that's actually worth following. I think I'm worth following on Twitter, at Frank Moreno. But aside from me, it's just basically Michael Tracy. So he's going to join us from Poland with uh, his perspective on what he's seeing out there. And coming up in a minute, is it time to ban chocolate milk? Mayor Eric Adams thinks so. We'll get into it and a whole lot more. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, keep asking questions. WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. Good morning. I'm Frank Diaz. A third set of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine ended Monday with little progress. As a Ukrainian official said, the Kremlin was engaging in, quote, tactics reminiscent of uh, medieval siege warfare. Well, President Vladimir Putin's spokesperson said Russia had told Ukraine it will halt its invasion in a moment if Kiev agrees to give up three key regions. Moscow's demanding Ukraine cease military action, acknowledge Crimea as Russian territory, and recognize the separatist republics of Donetsk and Lugansk as independent states. Associates tell the New York Post that opening four borough jails to replace Rikers Island is becoming a politically explosive issue for Mayor Eric Adams amid outrage over the city's crime surge. The deal to close the Rikers jail complex in favor of community jails in every borough except Staten Island was approved in 2019 by former Mayor Bill de Blasio and many term limited city council members who are no longer around. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center, sunny today with a high near 48. Later tonight, we're going to get some rain possibly and some, it looks like some snow before 4 a.m. Some increasing clouds at the low around 34. Right now, 44 degrees, mostly cloudy at 301. The other side of midnight continues next with Frank Morano. I'm Frank Diaz, and remember the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Did did I hear that newscast correctly? Did Frank Diaz just say that it's going to snow? Did he say that? When is it going to snow? Can we turn his mic on? It's apparently sometime before 4 o'clock tomorrow. Tomorrow, meaning like Wednesday? Yes. What day is today? Today's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. So it's going to sm- snow on Wednesday? Possibly. It was 75 degrees yesterday. How, how could we go from that to snow? Uh, uh, it could be any number of things, global warming, crazy people, you know, you name it. All right. Well, fair enough. How much snow are we expecting, uh, Mr. Diaz? Uh, it was like less than an inch. It wasn't, it wasn't Oh, okay. Much. Well, that's not a big yeah. deal. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Frank Diaz doing a, a terrific job there. Hey, I am a mushroom enthusiast. I love mushroom. In fact, I was so disappointed. My wife put two different types of mushrooms on our uh, shopping list because I just love every kind of mushroom. I mean, and I you could eat them so many different ways. You know, one of my my other favorite food. I, I one of my other favorite foods is eggs, and obviously I'm quite fond of cheese. So one of my, I mean, if I ever get the electric chair, which I sincerely hope that I don't, but if I ever get the electric chair, um. I a strong candidate for my last meal would be a mushroom and cheese omelet with multiple different types of cheese. You mean, and I'll still order that frequently when I go to a diner or something. I'll get a mushroom and Swiss omelet, a mushroom and mozzarella omelet. If I'm feeling really bold and want to indulge, I'll get multiple different types of cheese and some mushrooms. So anyway, mushrooms are showing up. Everywhere these days. Oh, so what I was going to say is I was disappointed because our uh, pod bean delivery, which delivers groceries to our house, uh, or, or it might be pea pod, pod bean, pea pod, whatever, they have not arrived yet with my mushrooms. So I didn't get any mushrooms today and or yesterday, technically. So that was a disappointment. And I was just, you know what I was doing is sometimes they leave, they leave food in the refrigerator and I was combing through the refrigerator to see if I could find any mushrooms. Because there's tomatoes in there from uh, an event that we had Friday. And today's a big day. Today we're celebrating International Women's Day here at the station. And uh, Rita Cosby is going to be emceeing a big thing at noon. Stay tuned for that. A lot of great stuff. But mushrooms are showing up everywhere these days. It's not just in sauce and in tacos. It's showing up in meat sub- as meat substitutes. But more than that, it's showing up in coffee. In environmentally friendly pa- uh, packaging, and if you can believe this, in a promising treatment for depression. Now, at the beginning of the year, I always try to guess people to uh, predict food trends. Like you remember, we've covered this. What a big thing! You know, sunrise uh, sun dried tomatoes kind of came out of nowhere, and then cauliflower was the big thing. They were putting cauliflower in everything. Cauliflower crust, cauliflower this, cauliflower pasta. Um, So I always try to predict what the next big food trend is. And the Produce Blue Book has declared mushrooms one of the top food trends for the year 2020. And um, this is what the the writer, Pamela Reimenschneider, the retail editor for Blue Book Services, says. Out of all the produce categories to pick as trendy, I think mushrooms are going to be the one that continues to gain popularity with consumers. 
from oyster mushrooms masquerading as scallops to consumer interest beyond buttons and creminis, consumers are looking for a meaty umami flavor without the meaty calorie load. So there are all sorts of new mushroom products that are flooding the market. Listen to this. I had no idea about some of this stuff. Pan's mushroom jerky is made with shiitakes. Giorgio's shredded portobello mushrooms come in two flavors, sriracha and barbecue. Shroom's crispy mushrooms are a potato chip alternative. I got to get this. I've had two out of three of the, the foods you mentioned. Oh, really? And how are they? Um, so I, it was the, uh, the like dried mushrooms and the mushroom jerky mushrooms hold seasoning very well. So I, I think that could be why people are so fond of them. So I, how, pre- you like them. I love mushrooms. I love mushrooms for me goes beyond the food. Mushrooms for me is, is a personality trait. Oh, well I could see that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I messaged you, but you don't have your laptop. So you can't see. No, I, I see it on my phone. Uh, well. Okay. He's right. just ignoring it then. Yeah. Uh, shrooms crispy mushrooms are a potato chip alternative that come in flavors like sea salt, spicy jalapeno, and mesquite bar- barbecue. The manufacturer also sells shrooms snack bars in flavors like crispy mushroom chocolate chunk. Can you imagine that? Mushroom coffee is cropping up everywhere. It's even sold at Walmart, and there's a new line of, ready for this, mushroom oat milk drinks that's hit the market. If you go to the website drinksfeed.com, they offer a primer on how to choose your first mushroom coffee. When they're used for beverages, they're usually dehydrated and made into an extract and blended into coffee or other drinks. While the health benefits are likely overblown, Proponents claim that mushroom beverages have the potential to boost immune infection, reduce inflammation, and support energy levels throughout the day. Well, I'm a big mushroom fan. So I hope this is the year of the mushroom. Will it be? I don't know. But um, whatever the case may be, I am a big mushroom advocate. Do you think that 2022 will be the year of the mushroom? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Another food that is making news not in a positive way at all, as the mushroom is, or another drink, technically, that's making news, is chocolate milk. Now, we've heard this before. Mayor de Blasio went after uh, chocolate milk, and now... The mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, is after your child's chocolate milk. The man who calls himself New York's first vegan mayor has a long and complicated relationship and history with chocolate milk, which he wanted banned from schools. He, um, it is long before he was mayor. Now that he's equipped with the power to set policies, For the nation's largest school system, the evangelist for healthy living has again turned his attention to the lunchroom staple, chocolate milk. And this has registered concern with the state's powerful dairy industry, is what he said. Quote, well, actually, do we have audio of Mayor Adams? Let me hear what he said. I am Brooklyn Borough President Eric L. Adams. There's been a lot of talk about chocolate milk. 
The Department of Education wants to ban chocolate milk in New York City schools. And while this might sound extreme to some people, the stats say differently. Instead of serving our children beverages that set them up for a lifetime of health problems, we should be encouraging them to drink more water. It keeps you hydrated, manages weight, and is a critical part of a healthy lifestyle. And it has no sugar. We need to encourage students to make healthier choices. Now that he's mayor, he's saying the same thing. Uh, This is not one of the areas where his positions have evolved. He is very adamantly against chocolate milk. This is what he said in January. We're having a conversation about should we have chocolate high sugar milk in our schools? Now, I'm not going to become nanny mayor because he remembers how fed up people were with Bloomberg over that stuff and de Blasio when he tried to do this. But we need we need we do need to have our children have options. Now, New York would not be the first city to do this. The cities of Washington, D.C. and San Francisco, they've already banned chocolate milk. A decade ago, Los Angeles became the first big school district in the country to remove chocolate milk from cafeterias, only to reverse that policy five years later after facing backlash and finding that the district out massive amounts of organic waste, most of which was plain milk left unused. So Adams has yet to make an aggressive push to end chocolate milk. He says the discussions are ongoing. He Just the talk about the dangers of these sugary drinks is drawing all sorts of concern from farmers across New York State, one of the largest dairy-producing states in the country. Did you know that? that? When you think of farm states, you think of Iowa, you think of states like Wyoming, uh, you think of Nebraska. You don't necessarily think of New York, but New York is a big farming state. It is one of the largest dairy-producing states in the country. The This is what um, – uh, so the industry would likely make an aggressive push against such a plan to ban chocolate milk, and it may find a sympathetic ear with Governor Kathy Hochul, who already views school lunches as an agricultural issue. Elizabeth Walters of the New York Farm Bureau uh, said, we need to make sure that children have choices when they're going to school to ensure that they're getting proper nutrition. What say you? Do you think, look, we already had first uh, Meatless Mondays, and then I think um, the mayor went even further and is having a whole vegan day or two in New York City public schools. Do you think, knowing what you know about the dangers of sugar, because that's the interesting thing with sugar, is you have all these proponents of different diets. You had that one guy yesterday that was was a proponent of these low-carb diets. And uh, low-carb diets, they're all, you know, you can eat meat, uh, you can eat uh, fat, you can have cholesterol, just don't eat carbs. Then you have people that are very, like uh, Eric Adams, that are all about plant-based diets, even though he sneaks in a piece of fish now and again. You have people that uh, prefer uh, a pescatarian diet. There's all these diets. The one thing that everybody seems to agree on is that sugar is bad for you, really bad for you. It's like the worst thing that you could eat or drink. Now, 
Should we really be giving a sugar-filled drink like chocolate milk to our children in school? What say you? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, there are two sides of this. On the one hand, it's bad for children. On the other hand, um, it's good for dairy farmers in New York State. On the one hand, there's already a big problem with childhood obesity. On the other hand, children like it. On the one hand, if you want chocolate milk, nothing stops you from bringing it yourself. On the other hand, are we going to see a situation where all this milk gets thrown away and children may not be getting the necessary calcium and protein that a little bit of chocolate in that milk would give them? 800-848-WABC. Wide open lines. If you want to uh, jump on board, you'll get right through if you sound mildly intelligent and if you have the wherewithal to keep your radio off. 800-848-9222. So when de Blasio proposed this two years ago, I was co-hosting a show every day on Newsmax TV called Liquid Lunch. Pardon the pun. And we we talked about this, and John Tobacco was the primary host, and we had on the show at the time Bernard McGurk, who's the co-host of the Bernie and Sid show, and his producer at the time, Flipper, and the two of them were at opposite ends of this issue. Uh, this is a little bit of the audio from our discussion on Liquid Lunch two years ago when this was first proposed. It certainly is a form of fat shaming as well. Yeah. I mean, and I'm ashamed of you for actually agreeing with this uh, form of fat shaming, despite what I said about Nadler earlier. It, you Look, if a kid wants to drink chocolate milk, if it helps them learn, he's got to make his way in the world. If he's going to sit, sit there and, and put the milk aside, yeah, but Bernie, he's not going to get the nutrition. The only- if the nutrition is in chocolate milk, he's going to drink it. And he's going to perform better on his test. There's no nutrition in chocolate milk at all. It's yes, there sugar. is. It's called calcium. Yeah, how you about, get more calcium from how broccoli. How about parents handle their kids' right. nutrition? You go to school, I don't want you buying chocolate milk. Okay, well, okay, if the kid buys chocolate milk and we find out, we punish him. We give him a little beating a lot or of these something. Kids, but, you know, the, the right. parents... <laughs> a little beaten. What? Take, take the belt off. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that's well, exactly... Quick shot in the head. And you say, you hey, can tell he came from a strict household. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> I could as well. Listen, I agree. Same thing with Meatless Mondays. I mean, who the hell are you to tell these... No, that's good. We all went to school with our lunch. Money, and you got a hamburger, a chocolate milk, some fries, Listen, uh, hot chocolate dogs, chip cookies, hot dogs, hot dogs and beans yeah. were like the, 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 the bomb back in the day. But when you guys, when we all went to school, we were outside moving around. Kids these days are playing video games. So, so you don't to... think when they go to school now, they move around? No. They, they put them in the corner and let them play video games. Yeah, they when don't... they get home, they come home and they I sit go by still. schools all over the place. I see kids running around Listen, and, uh, uh, you know, let's do stuff in schools to keep the fit. The kids are smoking pot in the bathroom and they want to ban chocolate milk. Give me a break. That was uh, August of 2019. I got to say, I love all the people in that in that video clip. Flipper, Bernard McGurk, and John Tobacco. And I still, listening back to that clip, and I watched it right before the show, I still laugh like crazy. I, I, John Tobacco can be a little rough around the edges at times, sure. But he has such a wit. And he has such a way of making me laugh. When he said... <laughs> He's creating these hypothetical scenarios of a parent threatening to beat their child if they buy a glass of chocolate milk. It just gets me every time. But 
I got to say, um, I am sympathetic to the dairy farmers here, but I have to side with Eric Adams and Flipper on this one. I don't think, and I drank chocolate milk when I was in school, I don't think chocolate milk should be a staple of the school lunch program. Now, look, there's a lot of debate about even whether or not dairy is the best thing for children to be eating. But there's no debate that chocolate milk is, is, is loaded with sugar. It's not good for kids' teeth. It's not good for their waistline. There is a problem with obesity. If you want chocolate milk, bring it from home. Um, I don't think it should be distributed in school. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Bob is from Ohio. Hello, Bob. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Well, I'm strange and getting stranger. <laughs> Same here. So what's on your mind, um, Bob? Well, what's on my mind is um, there's already, without any chocolate or any anything into milk, there's already sugar in it. But, uh, and there's in any fruit or practically anything you do, there's sugar in it. And um, to make chocolate milk, why don't you just take cocoa, which has no sugar in it, and add it to the straight-up milk? And that's one form of chocolate milk that one could be making. But you're right regarding the chocolate milk that nowadays is served in a grocery store for you to buy and take home or serve in schools, uh, has high fructose corn syrup and all this crap in it. There are different kinds of sugars. If you want to add sugar to a drink, such as chocolate milk, you could add coconut sugar, which is non-glycemic or very low glycemic. So um, for me, myself, when I cook and make food for my family, I buy uh, organic coconut sugar, which has – you can buy different varieties that have a taste from, like, chocolate to uh, coffee in flavor by themselves that are that, that don't spike your, you know, insulin, blood sugar levels out the wazoo. And so there's, there's healthy alternatives to uh, create a chocolate milk. Uh, maybe we should have the, uh, the ABC, WABC uh, version of chocolate milk and have it go worldwide as the healthiest chocolate milk. Well, I mean, it sounds good to me, Bob. I'm all for healthier options for children. But the bottom line is the kind of chocolate milk that children are drinking now is not the kind of healthy alternative that you're describing. So maybe that's a solution. But in the meantime, I think this idea of keeping kids from getting chocolate milk as part of their, you know, school bought lunch, their hot lunch, I think is a good one. Um, what do you think? 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello. Hey, Frank. Uh, another great show. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you. How dare you? I think the kids. I know. How dare me? I really think the kids have gone through enough with the whole pandemic. Let them have their chocolate milk. Uh, make water a choice, of course, but I think it's ridiculous. 
that Eric Adams is worrying about this. Let's worry about the crime on the streets and let these kids enjoy their chocolate milk with their lunch. Bad enough, my kids tell me that the school lunches are horrible now. Um, they bring uh, something every day, and um, that's my view. Have a good night, Frank. Well, uh, thanks, Joe. I mean, in fairness to Eric Adams, who I did not vote for and did not support, I I don't think he's sitting there saying, oh, well, I'm not doing anything about crime right now. I'm going to sit here and just twiddle my thumbs and make banning chocolate milk my priority. He just said they're having discussions about it. That's all he said. I mean, this is not yet a policy initiative. I'm trying to make this. This is they say this is talk radio is America's last neighborhood. In many ways, this is sort of our electronic barber shop, right? You used to go to a barber shop or a bar and have conversations about, you know, with with neighbors and friends and acquaintances about the uh, whatever's on your mind. Well, these conversations get heard through various channels by the Adams administration. So let them hear your view of the situation. Is it time to ban chocolate milk? 808 from schools. 800-848-9222. If, look, I know kids like it, but they also like soda. Are we going to give them soda? Of course not. Now, I don't think chocolate milk is the same sort of nutritional villain that soda is, but it's not a health food. And uh, should we really be giving it to kids? I don't think so. 800-848-WABC. Dom is in Pleasantville. Hello, Dom. Hello, this is Tom from Pleasantville. Tom, sorry. How are you, Tom? Oh, uh, that's all right. Good morning. Uh, I think it's kind of a, um, a, a two-way street. On I mean, I, I'm 57. I grew up in the Bronx on Fordham, off of Fordham as a kid. I grew up with really no money, and I went through a public school system. So back then, you know, having – I always the free school lunch and everything else, and, and with the, the play streets in the summer, we were given – I grew up with four brothers. We tore through milk and Nestle Quick like no tomorrow, and and all and we were skinny. Why? Because back then we were out in the streets, active, running it off, running it, and you know we were taught to brush our teeth. But but you know in today's world, I, I, you know it's 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 a tough call because a lot of these kids don't want to just drink regular milk, especially young kids. So that milk in the morning for them or their lunch. The sugar's not through the roof through the whole day for kids, but it's really up to parents. You know, trying to be a nanny, running a nanny state, and, and telling your kids what to I mean, the parents really need to, to be parents. Well, no, no, I, I agree, and, and that's sort of the the uh, point that Bernie McGurk and John Tobacco was making. But, look, um, that you can control what your parent, what your child takes to lunch in their lunchbox, and, you know, they can determine... They can determine if well, hang on, Tom. I, I didn't interrupt you, but um, they, 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 but when it comes to school, the uh, school lunches, when when the lunch is being given by the school, should they really be encouraging chocolate milk? I, I think the parents' attitude, no. the parents' attitude in many cases is all right. Well, if they're giving it to us, uh, if they're giving it to our children in school then it must be okay to eat. Well, uh, my, my thing is, look, the kids getting, I mean, these things aren't even like pints. They're, they're a little eight-ounce chocolate. And if you do the sugar, it's like buying a, uh, you know, a 20-ounce bottle of soda these days, and you read the sugar in it. 
50-something grams of sugar. But back in my day, a, a serving was eight ounces. And you look at an eight-ounce can of soda, where I'm at the level of sugar in it. It's like 20 grams. The, po- the point I'm saying is, if it's a small amount like that, and, it's, and, and, and to me, in my opinion, milk is beneficial in many ways to the kids' bones and teeth and everything and, and all these things. So, uh, you know, and a lot of kids don't want to drink milk on their own, you know, by itself. I, I'm just, I just think, especially families today in inner cities, if they don't have money to really properly feed their kids, uh, you know, that small amount of sure chocolate is, is going to be beneficial to them. Even if, if it's no, and it's the only maybe square meals that they might even get for the day, the breakfast at school and the lunch. That might be the only meals, decent meal they might have for the whole day. Well, well Tom, nobody's talking about taking away breakfast and lunch from these children. I just think, and look, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I don't think that chocolate milk um, is that much of a necessity for children. I don't. I know, and I know the the New York State dairy farmers disagree. I think it does more harm than good. Look. I'm all for giving kids free breakfast. I'm all for giving kids free lunch. Fine. Okay. Fine. But do we have to give them free chocolate milk as well? I don't think so. I don't think that does anything for them. I think parents who have their children get lunch at school have a reasonable expectation that that meal is going to be a relatively healthy meal. Now, should it be all... uh, Tofu and bean sprouts? No. I mean, you want it to be. I don't think there's something wrong. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, anything wrong with, um, I don't know, an occasional hamburger or uh, a sloppy joe or what are the other staples? A chicken patty. But uh, to have this chocolate milk as an option, um, I don't know that it does children much good, but people are free to disagree. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Westchester. Hello, Mark. Yes, sir, Frank. Uh, I uh, agree. Unfortunately, the guy that just called stole a little bit of my thunder. I went to Catholic school, and it was nice to have that option to have, I think it was half a pint of lukewarm chocolate milk what well, was nice for me in public never... school too i mean it, because it tastes good but children if they could make decisions about what they're eating a lot of them would probably eat candy for three meals a day understood but your parents have to be involved but in school to have that little bit of a treat during that prison food we all <laughs> ate i'm 56 years old so i remember when School food was a horror show. Spaghetti and meatballs, everything was not very uh, healthy for you. There was no such thing as salad. We all appreciated that little half pint of lukewarm chocolate milk. Yeah, I get it, Mark, and thanks for the call. And look, whenever you're producing food en masse, you know, for hundreds or thousands of people all at once, and you got to met it out quickly. It's never going to be a gourmet meal. I get it. But um, I just don't see the value in loading these meals with sugar when one of the biggest problems children are facing today is obesity. Now, as you heard Flipper and Bernie McGurk say there, I'm all for getting kids to exercise more. Let's improve 
physical education in schools. Let's have kids you do more exercises. Let's have children play outside more instead of uh, having their fingers and their faces glued to a video game or a mobile phone. Absolutely. I'm all for it. I'm not saying chocolate milk is going to make or break obesity in this country. I'm just saying it just seems like something that shouldn't be encouraged and shoved down children's throats. It's my two cents. 800-848-9222. We're going to try and go live to Poland next. Whenever we go to Poland, it's always a a difficult situation. Make your own jokes. So uh, those of you that want to be heard on this, we will try and get to you if we're unsuccessful in going to Poland. If we are successful and go, see, it's win-win for you. So if, if we're successful in going to Poland, you'll be that much better informed about the Russia-Ukraine war. If we're unsuccessful in going to Poland, you'll be that much more informed about folks' opinions regarding chocolate milk in schools. Win-win. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. WABC. Listen to this podcast now on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Father and Son with Curtis and Anthony Sliwa. It talked about how I would take you on Saturdays to Coney Island. And what would we do when we got to Coney Island? What was the first thing we would do? The first thing that we do on Coney Island, I love everything about Coney Island because it was such a, a history to me of any rise that I just love. And I think also back in your camp. Pains. I remember I saw you there. I was like, what you doing here? <laughs> and remember, when we would get to Stillwell Avenue, the last stop in Coney Island, we would go across the street to Nathan's Famous. And what uh, would we have there? We had a hot dog and some fries. That's right. Oh, does not love so those. So good. It was so good. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. You see what inflation is doing. You see what the stock market is doing. I have a contingency plan that's going to keep your money secure as prices keep rising. The dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by almost 7%. In 30 days, your dollar became worth 93 cents. Inflation's not slowing down. It's escalating. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold and silver. You have to take this seriously. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased counsel based on your individual situation. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635. Or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you do that, be sure to tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Moreno, 77 WABC.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. That's Huey Lewis and the news. Well, dominating the news, every news outlet, conservative outlets, liberal outlets, so-called non-political outlets, is this war in Ukraine. One of my favorite journalists is Michael Tracy. He's been kind enough to join us on the radio from time to time. I steal so much of my material from his tweets. If you ever hear me say anything that's really insightful, chances are I have plagiarized that from a Michael Tracy tweet. He's an independent journalist, and uh, he is right now joining us live from Poland. Michael, I, uh, I appreciate you joining us from a country where the time is a little bit more convenient for you to come on the radio with us. Yeah, maybe I should permanently relocate so I can be a more regular guest. Yeah, that, that would be uh, nice, although we need you here <laughs> in America. Now, uh, Michael, I was reading some of your, your writing on this subject. What made you choose to go to Poland to do your repo- reporting on this war from there? It seems like it was sort of a spur-of-the-moment decision. Well, it was. You know, I felt sort of inept uh, just remaining in my apartment <laughs> in the northeastern United States, while the story uh, unfolding on the ground is really happening in you know, Eastern Europe. And I chose Poland for a couple of reasons, but I guess the paramount one is that, you know, should there be a wider escalation? Um, should there be some sort of direct U.S. or NATO military engagement in Ukraine, or um, if the war would expand beyond the confines of Ukraine in any meaningful sense, it would more than likely be uh, through Poland in some fashion, or Poland would be intensely involved. You know, I guess uh, part of my interest was piqued when the Sunday after the war began, there was this slightly strange announcement from the top defense official at the European Union. Um, in which he declared that the EU would be sending fighter jets to Ukraine. And this took a lot of people off guard because it wasn't even clear what mechanism the European in, in European Union had to do that. I mean, the EU has been notoriously averse to really establishing much of a robust, independent kind of security slash military force under its command since it was formed. You know, around 20 years ago. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion around that announcement. And then uh, shortly thereafter, the Ukrainian Air Force uh, put out a statement saying that they were going to be using Polish bases, Polish air bases, to uh, launch aerial uh, combat operations. Uh, into Ukraine. And now, if that were the case, that would make, mean a NATO member state, Poland, uh, was pretty overtly uh, facilitating uh, combat against Russia, uh, which uh, had some pretty obvious uh, escalatory potential in my mind, you know, should Russia retaliate. But then again, you know, it wasn't even confirmed really that these uh, aerial operations were being launched from Poland because you had sort of ambiguous statements and uh, contradictory uh, explanations from the Polish officials and the EU officials and the Ukrainian officials and uh, other officials in the region that uh, uh, kind of muddied 
the reality of what was actually happening. So, well, well now um, now it's being reported that the U.S. is evidently working with Poland on a deal to send fighter jets to Ukraine. Do we know if that is indeed happening? Again, ambiguous mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was strange that the um, Secretary of State Antony uh, Blinken this past Sunday uh, went on the weekend shows and said that a plan like this was in the works where they were quote unquote backfill the Polish supply of fighter jets so that these uh, Soviet made fighter jets in Poland's inventory could be transferred to uh, Ukraine and then the, but they wouldn't, you know, lose all their stock. Um, and that, to, to my knowledge, has not been confirmed yet by the Polish uh, Ministry of Defense. Uh, seems like, you know, people are reluctant to admit outright. You know, it kind of jives with what I've heard from regular Polish individuals, which is that they want um, – they seem to want some measure of increased action against Putin. Uh, but it, it's not really in as much in the kind of culture here for th- them to be kind of actively proclaiming their own intent to engage in that military action, right? They'd much prefer the U.S. to do it, or um, they'd much prefer a larger uh, country right. to, to do it, um, which kind of is a misnomer in this instance because, you know, if, uh, if whether the U.S. does it or Poland does it or they do it collaboratively, it still impinges on NATO, right, which has a collective defense treaty. Um, and uh, but nonetheless, you know, there's a I, you, you, you do detect a bit of a reticence to kind of come out, come out and just say that, yeah, Poland's going to facilitate these combat missions. Um, but now, uh, there's you... sort of a paradoxical element because, you know, a lot of polls that I talk to and this kind of spans the political spectrum. Um, they they they're they're convinced, and you know the, the same goes of Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian Americans, and Ukrainian refugees that I've spoken to in the past couple of days. They're all utterly convinced that um, a wider war has essentially already began began because uh, Putin intends not just intends he's you know, dead set on invading additional countries yeah. after Ukraine. Now, so, um, yeah. you wrote in a, a column for Substack that you feel that Ukraine is trying to goad the United States into World War III. Um, explain to me how Ukraine is doing that and explain to our listeners why that's such a perilous proposition. Sure. Well, it's not my feeling. I mean, it's what the Ukrainian officials are saying more or less explicitly. I mean, Zelensky, the the president of Ukraine, who's now being hailed as this world historic figure, you know, the second coming of Churchill, the uh, most inspiring uh, leader that anybody could ever. Right. The, the European imagine. Mandela. Right. You know, he's getting the most obsequious coverage in uh, the United, in the U.S. as you know, any world leader I, I can recall. Um, what is his number one point of advocacy right now? 
he's advocating for a no-fly zone, um, or what is called a quote-unquote no-fly zone. And he advocates for this day after day after day furiously in uh, seemingly any venue he can. He had this Zoom meeting with 300 members of Congress on Saturday where he uh, directly implored them with a what was called a, quote, emotional appeal to impose a no-fly zone. He's, he's uh, uh, petitioned Biden directly for it on multiple occasions. Um, he's uh, petitioning other NATO countries for it uh, all the time. Um, any media interviews, et cetera. I mean, he's, there's an all-out blitz on the part of Zelensky to demand this intervention. It's not just Zelensky. Um, you know, for example, I, I interviewed uh, two or so weeks before the invasion began a uh, Ukrainian member of parliament who is very skeptical that there would be an invasion. In fact, she at the time was much more uh, worried about uh, kind of uh, attempts by the U.S. to sort of sow panic uh, about <laughs> a uh, potential invasion than she was about the invasion itself. Mm. Um, but then, you know, fast forward, and now, now she is, uh, you know, on, on, she was on Fox Business. I saw Neil Cavuto um, emotionally appealing <laughs> for a no fly zone. It's, it's a, across the spectrum uh, in, in, in Ukraine. I mean, government officials, ordinary citizens, refugees. I talked to one yesterday. Or not a refugee, actually, but you know, uh, a Ukraine-born you know, citizen of Poland, who is a, or a group of them who are outside the American embassy in Warsaw, um, protesting in favor of the imposition of a no-fly zone. Okay, so a no-fly zone, as even the most virulent hawks like Marco Rubio in the U.S. admit, is essentially the initiation of World War III, Marco Rubio, of all people, who uh, is not the most... Uh, right, he's not exactly a peacenik or an isolationist. Not, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, he made a point to go out on the, uh, the interview circuit on, on this past Sunday and uh, say that, you know, look, a no-fly zone means World War III. He said it bluntly, okay? Um, and that's what the Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian position is. That's what they're lobbying for. So, yeah, they are trying to kind of emotionally compel the U.S. into uh, instituting a policy intervention in Ukraine that would constitute World War III. I mean, I don't know why this is a controversial statement. All you need to, need to do in order to understand that this is the case is look at what they're saying. Look at what they're advocating for. But there's such a... Um, He's like a good guy versus bad guy, like a morality tale uh, uh, that's been kind of erected around this war right now, especially as it's depicted in the U U.S. media. That I mean, you, you can't say that for some reason. I and mean, this isn't to say that, you know, the Ukrainians are. Uh, right. Nobody's saying the Ukrainians are the bad or, guys. Uh, uh, even, you know, they're advocating for their own best interests. But if the logical conclusion of that based not on what you're saying, but on what Senator Rubio was saying is World War III, which I completely understand. What well, I mean, I almost, I almost put, hold on, I mean, is it really in the best interest of Ukrainians for, well, for no, World War III? I, I mean, I, I think that's in the absolute worst interest of everybody on Earth. So yeah, I don't even well, that's fair. That that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I can't argue with you there. 
Now, what does it say to you? Now, everything you said makes perfect sense. I've spoken with military leaders, uh, former diplomats, policy scholars uh, on the left, on the right, libertarians, so forth, all of whom agree that a no-fly zone makes absolutely no sense. And and again, as you point out, interventionists like uh, Marco Rubio, he says a no-fly zone means World War III. What does it say to you, Michael Tracy, that a poll came out uh, just in the last day or so that shows 74% of Americans support right. the idea of a Ukrainian no-fly zone. I mean, at some point, we we might think it's a bad idea, but don't three-quarters of Americans, I don't know, don't we have to, in a democratic system, don't we have to listen to what three-quarters of Americans say? Well, I mean, it certainly has an effect on how politicians calibrate their positions, right? Um, so you have a number, a number of congresspersons who I think are probably aware of the, the extraordinarily perilous implications of a no-fly zone trying to like finesse their uh, their proposals like uh, Brian Fitzpatrick who's a Republican congressman from Pennsylvania Pennsylvania and uh, who is you know I, I think a co-chair of the Congressional Ukraine caucus or you know, deeply involved in Ukraine issues in, in the house he, he called yesterday for immediately admitting Ukraine into NATO, right? So he's not necessarily calling for a no-fly zone, but he's calling for admitting Ukraine now, right now. He said, I think he said within a week, into NATO. So if Ukraine becomes part of NATO... Right, then, then we're, we're the bound... State, state would be under, yeah, so it's like the same effect, right, as a no-fly zone. Um, uh, but, you know, the fact that public opinion has shifted in favor of a no-fly zone suggests a number of things. You know, maybe... People still genuinely don't understand what a no-fly zone entails because it's a euphemism. I mean, there's a it's a deliberately crafted euphemism to mask the actual consequence of the policy. Um, it sounds like benign and humanitarian, right? Oh, you're just asking Russian jets to please not fly as though there's no enforcement mechanism entailed there, which would eventuate in the shooting down of Russian jets and active war between, uh, between the U.S. and Russia. Um, but it also suggests that the the total unanimity of the kind of tenor of the media coverage on the subject, mm. left, right, center, everywhere in between, is having a real effect on public opinion. And why wouldn't it? I mean, if it, this is a twenty four seven topic, it's hyper emotional, um, where you have a hero that's been anointed and Zelensky, and then the broader Ukrainian you know resistance or what have you, and you have an arch villain in uh, Putin. And the uh, kind of the moral uh, fault lines have been very starkly drawn. And, you know, most Americans aren't that in tune with the the, the details of like uh, military tactic, tackle, t- tactical military uh, policy. So, you know, their, that, their, their instinct is just going to, to be on the side of, you know, goodness. Um, you know, I think uh, a really important element here is to recognize how cross-partisan the sentiment is. And I think that's a very dangerous sign that, you know, it's not just a partisan issue in the U.S. in terms of supporting this. I mean, the, the, the pollster Reuters yesterday reported that the 74 percent of Americans favoring a no-fly zone is pretty evenly distributed right. across Republicans, Democrats, and independents, right? So once if you have 
that kind of consensus uh, building um, where, you know, I think liberals have their own reason for being uh, really staunchly in favor of this. You know, Putin had been christened as this, um, you know, uh, right. Ideological villain, villain, ideological villain against uh, uh, of theirs who's like against liberal democracy and is trying to foment, you know, right wing insurrectionism all around the world. Um, and installed Trump into office, right? Who you know kind of broke their brains for four plus years, um, and then you have you know Republicans who just have this kind of uh, visceral, uh, latent uh, militarism that can be kind of brought out at any time, uh, particularly as right. you know, for the, the older generation. This appeals to the instincts in of both wings yeah, yeah. of the uh, of of the political spectrum. I totally get that. Now, yesterday. The Russians uh, spelled out the terms by which this war could end. They said that uh, if the Ukrainians, one, recognize that uh, the Russians control Crimea, two, they recognize the independence of those two breakaway republics, uh, republics Donetsk and Luhansk, um, at three, that they remain a neutral country, not getting any international blocks like the European Union and NATO, and four, that they demilitarize, that this war could end. Now, nobody likes to um, reward a bully uh, that is uh, as aggressive as Putin seems to have been with this war here, but if you look at the lives that this war is Costing. If you look at the refugee crisis that this war is creating, if you look at the inflation and energy crisis that this war is creating, do you think that the Ukrainians should think about taking a deal like this? Well, you know, one tragedy of this is that the terms set out there yesterday, and who knows the authenticity of that statement. I mean, it could just be a you know a sort of a ploy and. Some of these so-called peace talks about opening humanitarian corridors and stuff have not seemed to really have been that legitimate um, over the past uh, 10 days or whatever. Um, but the, the real tragedy of all this is that, you know, that those terms are pretty consistent with what would have come about as a result of the Minsk agreement. Right. Which the which uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia and uh, France and Germany were party to, all the way back to 2015, but was never implemented. And what what was what is a key reason why that agreement wasn't implemented? I mean, in other words, it would have given uh, quasi autonomy to those uh, breakaway or separatist uh, statelets in the uh, east of Ukraine, the Donbass. Um, it would have provided for greater protections of, uh, of the Russian language, which Putin complains is being systematically uh, kind of outlawed or stigmatized. And that is true to some extent in that it did. after 2014, the Ukrainian government um, that came in after the uh, ouster, or uh, some would say a coup, which I think is probably accurate, um, of the uh, more kind of Russia-sympathetic president, and they, they have moved to... to uh, marginalized the Russian language in a number of ways. Um, uh, but uh, the Minsk Accords basically would have uh, peaceab- peaceably implemented a lot of what those terms now are. Michael, and what is the reason why that, that, that didn't come about? Well, I think every step of the way, the U.S. has disincentivized it. I mean, they've, the U.S. has flooded the country with arms. They've uh, been... Uh, determined to 
integrate NATO and the and U.S. military capacity with the Ukrainian military to do exactly what Putin said all along would aggravate him to the point of no return. And uh, even now, I mean, what are they saying? I mean, the, the senators and congressmen are digging in. I mean, they're, they after their meeting with Zelensky on Saturday, they're saying, look, this is like the last stand of freedom yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. And we have to actually defeat Putin on the battlefield. M- so Michael, not- I have to end it there. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm out of time. I appreciate the, the, uh, the checking in with us. Please keep us posted while you're in Europe and uh, let us know if, uh, if, you, if you see anything. Appreciate it very much. All right, thanks. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. The 77 WABC online store. Go to WABCRadioStore.com and check out the new 77 WABC merchandise. From t-shirts and hats to jackets and bags. Enter discount code 77SALE for 10% off your purchase at WABCRadioStore.com. So many WABC items. You'll want to go, go, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Hey folks, warmer days will be here soon. Now is the time to get healthier and lose that fat you put on the past couple of years. You can lose that winter weight by spring. Since it only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40 plus pounds with my friends at NJ Diet. Their contractually guaranteed program is unlike any of those other diet plans you may have tried. Dr. T. Arthur Turovitz, he knows what he's doing. It all starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then, NJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life it's all natural no shots no hormones no surgery no feeling hungry and absolutely no pre-packaged foods not sure if you can do it alone no problem nj dot is with you every step of the way you're fully monitored to make sure you're burning fat not just losing water you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number nj diet in new york new jersey connecticut or from home with live online video consultations visit njdiet.com or call 855-5nj-diet that's nj diet Com. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. The police, nobody better. Um, I'm so pleased that they weren't defunded. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls in just a minute. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. It's funny. Uh, yesterday, I came this close to watching the first episode of season two of Picard. I am a Star Trek fan and um, I, I haven't kept up with a, a lot of these series. I don't even know how many series we're up to now, but I didn't watch Discovery. I haven't watched Discovery, and I haven't watched this Lower Decks that's out now. I, I think there's another series that's out. I haven't kept up with them all. But uh, something like Picard, which is largely with, with Patrick Stewart, which is largely a continuation of the Next Generation, which was an amazing series, it's something that I wanted to watch. So I actually got Paramount Plus just to watch it. So 
I haven't gotten around, you know, my time is very limited these days between work and the baby and everything. So I haven't gotten around to watching it, but it just came out Thursday or Friday. I was at my dad's on Sunday, and my father and I were, were having a cigar, and he said to me, have you seen the new episode of Picard? I said, no. And he, and he be, proceeds to give me his review of the first episode. And he says, this is what he begins. And he really screwed me up by saying this. He says, in words or substance, yeah, you know, I liked it. But at first, I wasn't sure if I was watching this, the right episode because the episode begins the same way as the last season begins. Okay. So I don't know what he meant, but those words are echoing in my head. So this morning, as I'm watching Carmine and... I said, let's watch a little Picard. I try to hit the thing, like the right episode, and I see it's the same scene as the first episode of last season. And I said, oh, my dad said it begins the same way. Maybe that's what they're doing. And I was watching the first episode again. And then I said, all right, okay, that's not it. Let me scroll down. And then I end up watching the last episode of 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 the last season. So I didn't get to watch... The first episode, I mistakenly watched the last episode of the last of the last season. So I'm hoping today will be the day that I get to watch that uh, first episode of season two of Picard. If you've seen it uh, without giving any spoilers away, shoot me an email. Tell me what you're thinking about it. Uh, a, uh, Frank.Moreno at WABCRadio.com. We'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Until next hour, your influence counts. So use it. WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. Good morning, I'm Frank Diaz. A third set of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine ended yesterday with little progress as a Ukrainian official said the Kremlin was engaging in tactics reminiscent of medieval siege warfare. The President Vladimir Putin's spokesperson said that Russia has told Ukraine it will halt its invasion in a moment if Kyiv agrees to give up three key regions. Well, sources told the New York Post that opening four borough jails to replace Rikers Island is becoming a politically explosive issue for Mayor Eric Adams amid outrage over the city's crime surge. The deal to close Rikers Jail Complex in favor of community jails in every borough except Staten Island was approved in 2019 by former Mayor Bill de Blasio and many term-limited city council members who are no longer around. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center, sunny today with a high near 48, will be with some wind later today. Later tonight, it's a slight chance of rain and some snow after 4 a.m., increasing clouds with a low around 34. Right now, it is 42 degrees and cloudy at 401. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano continues next. I'm Frank Diaz, and remember, the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. 77 WABC.
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno with you until 5 o'clock this morning uh, when you'll get to hear the WABC early news. You can watch us at uh, WABCradio.tv. That's WABCradio.tv, our uh, video production team doing a great job. You have uh, Crystal, Eric, Gabby. Um, the, the Dan or Joe or both Dan and Joe, uh, a bunch of other people back there. It's a big state. You know, it's, they have quite a little crew back there. I got to tell you. So when, when John Batchelor was here, he used to love to do his show in darkness, right? You'd go into the studio and at the old studio at two pen Plaza, you wouldn't, see, there was no windows in there. So whatever the interior lighting was, that was the lighting. So when, Bachelor would do his show. It, it was almost pitch black. Simone was like this a little bit too. When he would fill in for Curtis or Ron in the morning, he liked it real dark. I like it bright. I like it like an operating room. I keep the lights up all the way. So, although now I think I, I have to kind of do whatever the the TV lighting says, but uh, I, I like to mix around, mix with the lights, but I always keep it bright. But the um, the guys in the video production department. They have it set up like you ever ride Space Mountain at Disney World. They have it set up like Space Mountain. It is pitch black in there, pitch black. And there's these green lasers all around that that you really do feel like you're on Space Mountain. It's like an eight-year-old's bedroom. Yeah, it is, right? It really is. Now, why do they do that? I have no idea. You've noticed that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's pitch black except for the monitors. And there's these laser Green yeah, that, that shine right in your all eye. All over the ceiling, all over the walls. Yeah. And I'm, I bet you if they wanted to, they can make them move. Like, Oh, I'm sure they can. I bet you they could also turn the lights on <laughs> and be able to see what well, they're I, doing. I understand it being dark because of the monitors and it's easier to see that way. But the laser lights are totally unnecessary. Yeah, uh, Molly, you have some insight. You're friends with all these video people, so you're, of course, going to defend them. I mean, I know they're listening right now, so I can say friends and kind of... <laughs> no, but uh, I love them all dearly. Um, they do like to sit in the dark, and that was actually the lights were Chad's idea. Oh uh, well, that's interesting. But what? So Chad will be here any minute, I'm sure, to make everybody nervous at uh, for his normal 4 a.m. appearance now. But um, I um, look, I, I figure it's nice to be able to see things once in a while. You know, Crystal was trying to help me charge my laptop uh, before the show, and she was giving me all these different laptops to try and uh, or these different chargers to try, and which I appreciated the efforts that she went to. But 
I'm trying to plug this thing in in total darkness. And all I'm thinking is, doesn't everybody else have a tough time seeing well, in total darkness? Frank, I, I didn't tell you why it was Chad's or the, the reasoning behind Chad's oh, why? thinking. Um, so, so, and oh, I, I know that WABC is always has uh, job applications online. Um, so Chad was say- thinking like, hey, we want young talent. We want to attract young, cool people who want to make great, great radio, great video content, um, great social media content. So Chad's idea was to he wants to, to make the uh, work environment uh I guess aesthetically pleasing to young people. Like the bedroom of an eight-year-old? Yeah, it's almost like, um, I think that's a good description. The bedroom of an eight-year-old or like, I don't know, even a a 14-year-old Nirvana fan that's smoking marijuana, right? I mean, that's what you It's a little goth in there, actually. No kidding. That's right. For nine-inch nails. So are some of the people. I'm going to go hang out with the young people. Go ahead, please. Uh, uh, we'll, We'll stick around with the people that enjoy light. Now, um, well, those of you that are holding, I'll get to you in a minute. You can comment on whatever you want to comment on. But um, the other day, a gentleman uh, called in during the $1,000 Minute segment, a great guy, and he pointed out some of the health problems that his wife was having. I don't want to re-litigate the whole thing, but he was very specific about what she's been going through. And... Um, I, you know, I didn't know what to do for him. I'm contrary to what most people think. I'm actually not a doctor, even though uh, Christine, the woman that would like to stand in for my wife occasionally, would like me to play doctor, not a doctor. And I uh, don't really know much about medical advice that I can offer him. But I said, you know, email me. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now. And I've I've seen the ratings. They're through the roof. There's more people listening than ever. And... Um, if people hear about what you're saying, I'll have them email me and I'll pass on their email to you. I can't verify what they're saying is true, not true, whatever the case may be. It's up to you to vet all of their suggestions. But, you know, there's strength in numbers here. And I got to tell you, I was deluged with so many different responses to this fellow Joe who really seemed like they were trying to help. And I passed them all on to Joe, and hopefully one of these doctors or uh, medical prognoses that these listeners forwarded on, hopefully that helps get his wife, Desiree, the help that she's looking for. We tried to do the same thing with uh, Sophia and at least one other listener that we had that is, have, have, that's looking for a kidney. Sophia needs a kidney, and we we are very, very eager to get her a kidney. If you want to give her a kidney, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I will pass along her e- your email and your offer of a kidney to Sophia. Now, it got me thinking, what if we did – You know, have you ever heard Tradio? The way Tradio works – Matt, you're an old uh, radio veteran. Uh, are you familiar with Tradio? I don't know. Okay, so Tradio is basically, it's big in rural communities. Some uh, markets call it uh, swap shop, where basically you call uh, a radio station and you say, uh, well, hey, I have a um, a lamp. 
and I'm looking to trade this lamp for something that I need, maybe a bookshelf, or I'm looking to sell it. And then you call into Tradio and describe the item that you're looking to trade, and then people will call in if they want to respond to that inquiry. I thought maybe, maybe we could spend 15 minutes doing sort of helping people Tradio, right? And look, I don't, in the age of social media, maybe we don't need to do this anymore. But I was so taken with that response to Joe that I thought it might be worth trying. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite you, if you have a problem, whatever the problem is, you're looking for a plumber, you're um, you're looking for a solution to a roof leak, you have a terminal illness, you have no friends and you're looking for someone to talk to, you're looking for a recommendation for a kosher restaurant in Atlantic City, you're looking for... Um, a good pro-Ukrainian charity to donate to. Whatever your problem is, health, business, financial, you're looking for a lawyer or legal advice, I want you to call me right now at 800-848-9222 and be prepared to describe to the audience whatever your problem is. And then... I'm going to invite, you can give your own contact information out if you want. I don't recommend it because I see the crazies that try to call me on a regular basis. But um, I'll give my email out and then I will forward on to you via email whatever their suggestions are for your problem. So, for instance, this is how this might go. Yeah, Frank, uh, I, I want to help the Ukrainians, and uh, I don't know who to give to. Can you recommend a charity of uh, folks that is going to get the money directly to the Ukrainians, right? Then um, I'll say, all right, if anybody knows of a good charity that Charlie can donate to that will get the money to Ukrainians, email me, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. Now, Charlie will have emailed me, and I get this flood of emails that I'm not responsible for vetting, and I will pass this on to Charlie. So, everybody clear on it? So, let's try it. Let's see how it works. 800-848-9222. We got four open lines uh, if you want to try this. 800-848-9222. A couple of people have been holding to, to comment on other things until we get our um, ADO. We'll call it ADO because we're aiding the people that are calling. Until we get our ADO lines running... We will take your calls at 800-848-9222. Ron is in Michigan. Hello, Ron. Good morning, Frank. Frank, uh, from your last guess, in the 72% of Americans who are in favor of no-fly zone, which means war, um, I, um, I I think if the president really is, is in favor, if, if he goes along with this, uh, these war hawks, if they go along with it, they should institute the draft alongside that because that'll show the seriousness of our intentions, and uh, the military needs personnel right now. We are hurting for personnel in our armed forces, all branches. But uh, it, the media is doing a great job of showing this war and the uh, the, the horrors of it and the, the disaster of the, the refugees that are going to be flooding Europe and the United States, Canada, and, Can- and Australia. 
But it's almost it almost seems to me that the Ukrainian people who are great fighters and they are they are hell bent on uh, seeing their country pulverized into uh, nothing and uh, many many millions of their citizens just fleeing the country and it, Ukraine will, will exist no more the world will exist no more if we go with the no fly zone and atomic bombs start flying but What's, what's your opinion on this, Frank? Yeah, well, look, I've been saying this every day. I, I, look, I think a no-fly zone means that America starts shooting down Russian jets and we're at war with Russia. You have the two largest nuclear powers at war with one another. And that, I think, legitimately has the the potential to end the world as we know it in a nuclear holocaust. And that is precisely the opposite of what we want to do, I think, personally. All right, 800-848-9222. This is our first experiment in what we're calling ADO. Let's say hello to Frankie in Glendale. Hello, Frankie. Good morning, Frank. This is interesting. I am restoring my 1976 Firebird formula, and I am in search of a decent front bumper. All right, so 1976 Firebird. And you're willing to pay for this, right? Of course. Okay, so you're looking for a bumper for a 1976 Firebird. All right, if anybody knows of a bumper, front bumper, for a 1976 Firebird, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I will pass that uh, recommendation or that bumper or that referral on to Frankie and Glendale. And Frankie, you'll email me as well, and I will connect you guys, okay? Very good. Thank you. All right. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. Let's go to our next ADO contestant. Oh, that's it. It's just Frankie and uh, Glendale. It's starting to look like this might not have been the creative, really interesting, innovative idea that I thought this might be. So uh, who knows? We may have to rethink this approach. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Bronx. As Joe uh, quotes Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, says something that's borderline anti-Semitic and possibly uh, uh, white supremacist and uh, doesn't take a breath. Uh, then uh, hopefully that'll give you an opportunity to call in. Hello, Joe. Thank you for the preface. Anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, so with regard to uh, understanding what's going on in Ukraine, uh, you know, with regard to our foreign policy, you have to understand that much of our foreign policy is directed by people who are of the persuasion of the neoconservative ideology. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Again, those wonderful people that got us involved in the Iraq war, when Iraq and Saddam Hussein had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11, uh, they're the same people who are fomenting the nonsense that's going on and unfolding right now in the Ukraine. Now, that being said, uh, for people who are unfamiliar with neoconservatism, there's a wonderful book I recommend. It's called The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. Again, pick it up. It goes into a lot of the left-wing ideologies like neoconservatism that is largely responsible for the foreign uh, policy catastrophe that's currently unfolding in Eastern Europe. Now, back in 2014, Victoria Nuland, she was working with the State Department. She's one of these neoconservative nut jobs 
who wasted $5 billion in American tax money to overthrow the democratically elected government of Viktor Yanukovych. She was the Ukrainian president at that time. And what was Yanukovych's crime that she had to get him overthrown? He wanted to have friendly relations with the Kremlin and keep Ukraine out of NATO for obvious reasons. Because, again, from a very reasonable standpoint, Vladimir Putin sees Ukraine, NATO membership in, uh, for Ukraine as being a direct existential threat for his country. Because imagine uh, a similar scenario. Let's say China overthrew the democratically elected government of Mexico all right, and installed Chinese military bases along the Rio Grande and then installed uh, intermediate-range ballistic missiles that could hit San Francisco, Tucson, etc., and entered into a, a, a belligerent military alliance with China between Mexico. How would we like that situation on our frontier? That's exactly what Vladimir Putin is facing on his frontier. Because, again, when the Cold War ended, the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. The Warsaw Pact, of which all these former Eastern countries were members of, also collapsed. NATO ceased having a reason for existence. Right now, the NATO alliance is no longer a defensive military alliance. It's nothing but an expensive anachronism for American taxpayers that's getting us needlessly involved in foreign entanglements in the, on the European continent, when, again, it, or the entire situation is completely avoidable. All right. Thank you, Joe. You're starting to repeat yourself. It always makes me a little nervous whenever I agree with Joe. Uh, and unfortunately, I found myself agreeing with almost everything he said there. And uh, that always it leads me to think that I'm probably wrong because Joe's a little out there. 800-848-9222. We're doing our experiment in ADO. Do, are you in need of something? So far, we have Frank and Glendale looking for a bumper. We have Sophia looking for a kidney. We have Joe, look, not that Joe, but the other Joe, looking for a doctor for his wife on a specific, possibly autoimmune issue. Do you need something? Maybe it's a companion. Maybe it's advice. Maybe it's a lawyer. Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's an accountant. If you do, call me right now, 800-848-9222. Describe what you need to our audience, and then I'm going to ask the audience to respond by emailing to me emailing me, and I'll pass their recommendations on to you, and it's up to you to vet them. So far, we got one. One one, one good one. Not going so well so far. Uh, still plenty of time for that to change. There's one, two, three, four, five, six open lines. 800-848-9222. Uh, before we get to our ADO calls, let me say hello to Frederick in Manhattan. Hello, Frederick. Oh, Frank, hello. Yes, uh, I, I don't know if I'm phoning on the subject uh, that I should be phoning on, but of course I'm, you know, uh, concerned about what's going on in Ukraine, uh, as most of the people are in this country. Um, there really, really does need to be some kind of negotiated settlement, and uh, President Biden doesn't seem to be doing anything. Uh, the, the concerns that, that uh, uh, Putin has uh, are legitimate concerns for the security of his nation, and uh, really there needs to be more, more, more going on with respect to negotiation. And I don't see much going on with with, with Mr. Mr. President Biden. And um, uh, there's so much suffering already, and it really needs to stop. And and these things can be sorted out. They can be sorted out 
through negotiation and through talking and through settlement and the concerns that Putin has with regard to the security of his nation are very legitimate. All right. Thank you, Frederick. 800-848-WABC. Our friend Evelyn is in Bayonne. Evelyn, what can we help you with? Good morning, Frank. I bought um, a stereo. Uh, Your listeners wouldn't understand probably, but it's a console stereo that used to be popular back in the uh, 70s and 80s. The sound was fantastic when I bought it. Mm. And when it got to my house, it must have been jumbled around in the move because it doesn't play now. So I don't know what type of repairman to call. Do I call an electrician? Do I call someone else? I don't know, but I have all these fantastic Led Zeppelin. I have each boy's albums, my Beatles albums that weren't even opened yet. And they're all going to waste. And I'd love to listen to them. And that's why I bought it. So you need somebody to repair your record player in conjunction with your stereo. Yes. And it's one of those big consoles that it looks like a piece of furniture. Okay, well, and and, uh, and it's a console. And, it's yeah. a console stereo with a record player that we need to repair. All right, so that's Evelyn's yeah. problem. If anyone has a help for Evelyn, email me right now or whenever you hear this. Frank Morano at wabcradio.com. dot com. That's Frank M O R A N O at wabcradio.com. dot com. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank Appreciate you. your support of this show and you being such a loyal listener. Thank you. Anthony is in Brooklyn. Anthony, what do you need? Uh, hi, Frank. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to have a companion, a woman who's not going to ask me for my Social Security number or try to pull one over on me. I'm tired of being alone. All right. Well, what, do a lot of women ask you for your Social Security number? Uh, recently, yeah. And what do they do yeah. with that information? I, I, I don't know, but I don't give it to them, and then they get mad at me. Yeah, well, I think that's a good philosophy. All right, so you're looking for a, a woman. Is there any sort of age range that you have in mind? Well, I'm 52 years old and uh, never been married. I have no children or anything like that. So uh, any age range, as long as she's not, you know, a teenager. <laughs> All right, so um, someone looking to date a 52-year-old. And, um, um, well, so Anthony, there's always, and I was unmarried for a long time, so I know this firsthand. There's always a little bit of a stigma with an older fella, not an older fella, but a guy that makes it past the age of 35 and has never been married. How come you've never been married? Well, I got sick. You, you got what? I got sick through no fault of my own, you know? I, oh, okay. I, uh, I became sick, unfortunately, and it's not that I want to be this way, but I am. And are you healthy now? Well, physically and everything, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not just, uh, I, I still I still have, you know, anxiety and all, but, uh, you know, I, I just like to be with someone normal. All right, so you have some anxiety issues, 52 years old. You live in Brooklyn, and you want to be with someone normal, someone that won't ask you for your Social Security number. Yes. All right. So, Anthony, you have email, right? I'm sorry? You have email, right? Uh, no, I don't have an email, but I, I have uh, – you can text me at my uh, phone number. All right. Go ahead. So give, you want to give your number out and invite these texts? I can't verify um, who's going to be texting you. It's okay. All right. Um, it's just my phone number at uh, 917-615-6660. All 
All right. Uh, 66. It's 917-615-6660. Anthony, looking for a yes. companion. Uh, wishing you the best of luck, Anthony. You sound like a, a nice guy and a sincere guy, and you're a listener to this show. So hopefully yes. somebody that also yes. listens to this show will want to uh, spend some time with you, even maybe if it's just uh, friendship, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's nice. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you, Anthony. I Good luck. It, Keep us posted. <laughs> Anthony, uh, 917-615-6660. Don't text him and give him a hard time. Okay? Because he seems like a nice guy. 800-848-WABC. What do you need? Sam in Brooklyn. Hello. Okay. Yeah, listen. I read about uh, NFTs, how people make them and they sell them, possibly. But I also read in the New York Times that it could cost $400 to create a single NFT, and people don't make that kind of money. They, they would lose money. I don't know how this whole thing works. Uh, you keep on reading about this thing, but you don't have any idea how it even might be tried. So what so are you like looking to, for exactly? I'm looking for information about how this thing works, if, it's, if it makes sense at all or not. All right, so you want information on NFTs. You know the thing where they put up, they call it art. Yeah, I I know what NFTs are, non-fungible tokens, right. So um, you want information on NFTs. That's what you want. Right, right. what the system requirements are, what it would cost to to, to put one up just to try. All right. Okay, so Sam, you have email, I assume, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and anyone that emails me with NFT information, or or pathways to NFT information or education, I will pass them on to you. Okay. All right. So you're going to email me. Frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Jay in Cincinnati, what do you need? Hey, Frank. I wanted a 69 GTO with a 400 motor and a four-speed like I had in my misspent youth. Okay. Uh, so 400 motor, 69 GTO, and you're willing to pay for this, right? Well... Then I thought again, with the price of gas, maybe I shouldn't. How about an English racer like I had my grandmother? All right. Well, so is this a serious inquiry or is this just? Serious. Okay. So three-speed English racer. Three-speed English racer. And you're willing to to buy this from somebody? Preferably a boy's. I identify as a male. Mm -hmm. So I would like a boy, not a girl's bike. Okay. And uh, they have hand brakes on them. But... uh, That'd be great. All right. So uh, and you, you're looking to buy a three-speed English racer. Correct. Okay. Email me, Jay, your email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And anybody that has a three-speed English racer, please email me as well, and we will put you in touch with Jay. See, this is hopefully this works out well. Hopefully we get Anthony a girlfriend or at least a friend. We get uh, we get uh, Sam some NFT information. We get Frank a bumper and we get uh, Jay, a uh, three-speed English racer. And that's to say nothing of the kidney that we're hoping to get, Sophia Pika, and the uh, medical advice that we're hoping to get, Joe's wife, Desiree. If you need something, whether it's whatever it might be, it might be financial, might be health-wise, it might be, could be anything. Give me a call right now, Frank.Morano at... WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. Today is International Women's Day here on the radio station. Uh, the ki- Things are going to kick off with Deb Valentine at 5 a.m., who is a woman. Uh, she hosts the WABC Early News. And then uh, John Katsimatidis is going to sort of officially 
kick things off on the Bernie and Sid show. And there's going to be a star-studded lineup of women on all the various talk shows. And my colleague, Rita Cosby, who you can hear every day at midnight, she's going to be anchoring special coverage at noon, I believe, all focused on celebrating women, women who work here, women in the news, women in uh, government, women in media. It's going to be a great day for celebrating women. And I believe if you go to WABCRadio.com, you can actually request a, a free International Women's Day pin, which is really neat. We have some great pins that we give away, and you can do that at WABCRadio.com. I was able to get my hands on one of these pin pins I gave to my wife. She loved it. Now, I'll also mention, uh, for those of you that are interested in meeting Rudy Giuliani or his son Andrew or Curtis Sliwa, all three of those men, will be at W's on Staten Island today, beginning at 3 o'clock. Mayor Rudy Giuliani is doing his radio show from there, and they're going to be collecting signatures for his son, Andrew, and Curtis is going to be on hand as well. I'm not sure how long they're staying there, but I was asked uh, by the mayor and by Curtis and by Andrew to mention that they're doing a big event at W's, which is a great place. I wish I could be there, uh, but I'm going to be. that's right around when I'm watching the baby. So I can't be there, um, but uh, and it's also right up the block from a great cigar shop. So I'd love to get the mayor to just join me at the at the cigar shop up the block after they finish campaigning. But I don't think it's in the cards because after I uh, finish watching the baby, then you know I got to work on the show and stuff. So I don't think I'm going to be there. But uh, Curtis Lee, Rudy Giuliani, and Andrew Giuliani, three o'clock, probably until about eight p.m. At W's at uh, Page Avenue and Amboy Road on Staten Island. And uh, the mayor is going to be doing a show from there as well. All right. Well, this ADO uh, experiment, I don't think it went that well. But hopefully we get some help to the fellas that called in and Evelyn, who needs that stereo advice. Um, and hopefully it's worthwhile for them. You know what they say? Oh, if you could save one life, if you could help one person. Well, in my view, if you can fix one stereo, you've done your job. So, um, exper- you know, that's what we're all about on this show. Experimenting. Not everything's going to work. But that's why you listen, hopefully. Because you just never know what's going to happen. Never know. Any given day, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we'll do the $1,000 Minute next, and again, in keeping with never knowing what's going to happen, if you are the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, we're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, and if you can do that, you will be $1,000 richer. So go ahead if you want to give it an opportunity to uh, call 800-848-9222. You can go ahead and call right now. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Frank Marano. 77 WABC.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, so far, I'm getting a whole bunch of um, suggestions for Evelyn and Bayonne on her stereo issue. So, who knows? Like, if we help Evelyn repair her record player, uh, maybe the segment will be a success. You know, one listener suggested that we establish an ombudsman, and I we actually used to have something like that at the station. It was called um, Call for Action. And I've actually suggested, I don't want to let you behind the scenes of what I'm thinking, but I, I actually wrote a memo to the powers that be here recently that suggests we do exactly that. So I don't know if it will happen, but I have suggested that, that we do that all the time. Not on air, but, you know, off air. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. It is International Women's Day, but for now it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Ah, thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Don in Lake Ronkonkoma. Hello, Don. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Well, I'm as happy as a tick on the backside of a dog. There you go. Don, do you know um, Joe from Ronkonkoma? Uh, I know several Joes from Ronkonkoma. Ah, good, good. Well, I'm, I figured you guys would get along. You're both listeners yeah. to the show. All right, so, Don, you're, you've heard this contest before, I imagine. Yes, I have. All right, good. So we're the timer's going to begin after I ask the first question. If you get a question right, I'm just going to move on to the next one. Don't overthink them. Most of them are pretty easy. And if you're ready to go, we'll get started. Yes, I am. All right, let's do it. What shape is the Earth? Round. What is two times two? Four. Who was the last governor of New York State? The last governor? Yes. Cuomo. Who is the president of Ukraine? Zelensky. What Roman leader was assassinated on March 15th? Whose show airs on WABC on Saturday and Sunday in this time slot? Overnights. One o'clock. Right. Whose show? Whose show? Oh, that would be uh, the the weekend version of uh, After Midnight. Right. Who's hosting? Garcia. Okay. What's the name of the mascot for Fruit Loops? Who was the first black actor to win an Academy Award in the best? That you know. Um, so the, it was after the uh, midnight. It was, dur- it was, it was after during the, the buzzer. Yeah, it was during the buzzer. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Does that? Does that? I think it counts. I think he. That's you know, he started answer. He started answering. I, and you know, there was a little bit of um, there was a little bit of you know a confusion on the specificity of that Curtis question. So I honestly, I think he gets credit for eight questions correct. Um, Matt Blaze, what do you think? I, I agree with that. All he right, got eight correct. Yeah. questions. Yeah. yeah. So you know, well, no, that was eight. But with eight questions correct, still gets you a hundred bucks. Okay. All right. So we're gonna. We're. Right. I, I think. I, you know. I don't think we're going out on a limb here by giving Don those eight questions. I mean, he answered that. Uh, so Don, congratulations. You've won a hundred bucks. 
Okay, Frank, thanks a lot. All right. Sometimes you... I got it. You know, that Curtis Wheeler, that probably cost me the place two questions. I was in a roll. Any chance I could just, you know, for funsies, you know, do the last two? All right, yeah, but I want to make clear that we're not giving you any more money, okay? Before, That's okay. because it's now the Chad comes in. At, now the Chad comes in at four o'clock. Now I don't want him yelling at me for giving too much money away. All right, okay. what is the? This is number nine. What is the name of Microsoft's most popular operating system that's run most of the world's computers since the 1990s? Windows. And when used in the kitchen, sodium bicarbonate is more commonly known as what? Baking soda. That is absolutely right. You are. Oh, you would have gotten all uh, all ten of those questions right. Yeah. All right. Well, ne- uh, well, Don, you have the satisfaction of knowing you're smarter than almost everybody that's ever played this game. Okay. Next time we got. I get, we got to get a slower clock. <laughs> yeah. I, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's. Hey, you know he, what? You know what the other question was. I thought you were saying that the name of the show was whose show. Wait, who, wait, you thought it was... It when was you were what? saying whose show, I thought you were saying that, the, that, that, that there was a show on it was called Who's Show. Well, but that wouldn't make any sense. I who's know, show? that's why it was. That's why it, it set me back to my heels a little bit. Well, I hear you, Don. I mean, it is 4.30 in the morning, but I mean, yeah. in the context of the question, I mean, doesn't Whose Show make more sense than Who's Joe? It, it did, it did. You know, it, it was, that's what, that's what I, had, I had a click in my head that there was actually, I know there's going to be one question about the the, the lineup of uh, WABC. Right. Well, you, hey, you got it right. So, Don, I'm going to put you on hold, and we are going to get you $100 courtesy of John Katzmatidis and this radio station, okay? Okay, Frank. All right, congratulations. Nice to you, Likewise, Don, call again. Call again. Thanks I for will. listening. All right, 800-848-9222. See? Winners do happen on the other side of midnight. Eight hundred eight four. Now I got to come up with ten new questions. See, the nice thing when people get eliminated early is I can use those questions the next day. But now I can't. Now I got to come up with ten new questions. But I'm happy to do it if it means rewarding some of our listeners. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll do the thousand uh, dollar minute in just a bit. Mike is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Uh, uh, by the way, I, I misspoke. We're not going to do the $1,000 minute in just a bit. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. Let me be very clear. We'll do the $1,000 a minute again tomorrow. Go ahead, Mike. What's on your mind? Well, you know, you guys talk about chocolate milk and all, and I can understand the mayor doing that, and I think, you know, kids, they should get an education. They get an education on food, too. My only thing is, what are they going to do with all the chocolate milk? All them chocolate cows out there I see in Pennsylvania... You know, they got to get milked every, every uh, two times a day. What are they going to do with all the chocolate? Uh, uh, that's a, that's a, a, a fair question, Mike, a fair question. He hung on hold a while uh, to give that joke. That is, uh, that's something. God bless you, Mike. All right. Uh, we'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. Um, but if you want to email me, by the way, if you want to stay in touch about anything we've covered thus far, Moreno at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You're going to want to keep it plugged in here on 77 WABC because it is International Women's Day and we have a whole bunch of women questions. This has been a show that I have done without the aid of a laptop computer. I, I will tell you what, though. You know, I used to have a notebook that I kept. We have lockers here that we're supposed to put our headphones in and any other personal effects. And I had a notebook 
that I was making, you know, that I'd make notes in, that I was putting in that locker every day. And yesterday, I noticed that I had left the locker unlocked. So it was unlocked for about a day, maybe even the whole weekend. I think it might have been the whole weekend. And today, when all of a sudden I recognized I was not going to be able to make notes on my laptop computer because I I forgot the power charger at home, I was looking for that notebook to make notes about the format of the show and different points that I wanted to raise with each of the guests and so forth. And I can't find that notebook. And I'm wondering, did I take that notebook home without realizing it? Or did someone go into my locker when it was open over the weekend and take that notebook? I mean, there's nothing really private in there. It's really just notes about things that I want to remember. So, I mean, people are welcome to it. But I do wonder, did somebody pilfer my notebook, which would be certainly disconcerting. All right. As I mentioned, I was asked by my friend Curtis Lewa to um, uh, encourage everybody to come see he and the Giuliani's this afternoon at W's on Staten Island. They're going to be there probably from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., and uh, Andrew's looking to sign petitions. So also, if you're looking to volunteer to help him get petitions and you're a registered Republican from New York State, it doesn't matter where. It could be any borough, any any city in New York State. If you're a registered Republican, come down. You could sign the petition and also take a stack yourself to help get him, him get on the ballot, even if you're not sure who you're going to vote for. I find it's always good to incur, help people get on the ballot. That's what I would say whenever I would collect petitions. And I may collect petitions again this year. Um is, you know, look, you don't have to vote for this person. just gives them a right to run. just puts them on the ballot, which I think is a good thing. It's funny. Uh, so every, every – my whole political life, I've been involved in the third-party political movement. I had sort of a falling out with the Independence Party in the year 2010, and then for about four years, I was without any party. Then in 2014, uh, Rob Astorino's run for governor gave birth to the Reform Party. And then Curtis and I sort of worked together to take that party over. And this is the Reader's Digest version of a lot of years of third party history and my personal political history. Then um, that party went out of business. And then I basically took over half of the New York State SAM party. And then thanks to Andrew Cuomo, that party went out of business. Uh, you're sensing a trend here, right? Whatever party I tend to join goes out of business. So I've been thinking about what I should do next. And I still am just not comfortable joining one of the major parties because, look, I've worked my whole life for the establishment of a third-party watchdog or, better yet, a vibrant multi-party political system, at least on the state level. And, you know, I have no time as it is. And yet I still find myself daydreaming and making notes about and strategizing about mounting, about trying to lay the groundwork for a new party to be formed this year and running candidates for for office up and down the state, independents, Democrats and Republicans on uh, on this third party line. And look, as soon as I think about this, let alone say it out loud, I recognize that it makes no sense. Uh, you know, I'm on the air uh, probably about 22 hours a week, maybe more. 
And, you know, I'm now father of a three and a half month old who requires a lot of attention. And I occasionally like to sleep. And I see the effort that it takes me to try to watch an episode of Picard or watch a motion picture. I, I, I don't remember what it's like to read a book, not for work. I, I mean, that's a distant memory. So clearly it makes no sense whatsoever for me to try to launch a new political party, which is very labor intensive and does nothing for you in terms of money or uh, glory. All it does, you know, when I, when, whenever I was in the leadership of a minor party, all it did honestly was cost me friends because you have multiple friends running for office. You got to pick one. And you got to make a decision and you have it's just you, you end up making a lot of people unhappy. And that is the opposite of what I like to do. I like to try to make everybody happy. But I was thinking that maybe I would form something, even if it's only virtual, but I, I think it's better if it's in person, that maybe I'd form a monthly the the operative idea that I was working with a monthly or weekly third party Congress where I invite third-party leaders and third-party activists and even people that are in the major parties but are interested in discussing political reform issues to a monthly or weekly meeting where we have different guest speakers in various parties addressing different uh, things. Like, for instance, maybe we include members of the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, the Conservative Party, what was the Independence Party, the Reform Party, the Sand Party? And we all meet, maybe somewhere for drinks or food. We'll see if we can get somewhere to host us in New York or even elsewhere in other parts of the country. And then we have different speakers to talk about a different political issue. I think uh, I think it would be a lot of fun. So that's what I'm thinking of doing. I'm thinking that won't be as labor-intensive as starting a whole new political party, but maybe, just maybe... It can be a potent think tank for a lot of issues that will further the cause of political reform and maybe further the cause of a new minor party or ideally a third major party in this state. So if that's something you're interested in, email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I'll put you on my email list. If that comes to fruition, I'm not sure what form it will come to fruition in, but I'll put you on my email list. And um, when it does come to fruition, I'll let you know about different events that we have and what form they'll they'll take. So I, I think it might be a good idea. I think it might be fun. And I think people might get a lot out of it. And I know my wife would much prefer me to do something like that than try to relaunch a, you know, a new party again. Because, uh, you know, at some point they always say that um, – I, this is a quote that's generally attributed to Albert Einstein, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and accepting and expecting a different result. Well, that would be the very definition of what I would be doing in embarking on a new third party endeavor here. But you know what it is? And the reason that this idea of a third party Congress came to me is, you know, I have a lot of friends that are Republicans, a lot of friends that are Democrats a lot of friends that are conservatives, a lot of friends that are liberals, some friends that are libertarians, some friends that are greens. And what is nice about being part of a, one of these political parties, and I had it when I was you know, in the leadership of these minor parties, is there's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of belonging in these parties. 
you get to go to a Republican meeting or a Democratic meeting and exchange ideas with people and work towards a common goal, whether that goal be an issue or getting a candidate elected. And that's where I feel like there's, look, they say 35% of the people in this country are independent. And yet I, I feel like there's not really any place for these independents to hang out and to meet one another and to, uh, and I know there've been different attempts at something like this, but there's no place for independents or minor party activists in this country to enjoy the same degree of camaraderie and the same sort of organizational uh, infrastructure that the major parties have. So at times I kind of, um, I find myself thinking, well, look, maybe I should be a Republican or maybe I should be a Democrat. Wouldn't it be nice to have people to work with and and to partner with? Well, my idea for this third party Congress would do exactly that. Right. So that's what I'm that's what I'm in the embryonic stages of developing. Maybe after after Lent is over and I can drink again, maybe we'll we'll set this up as a, a monthly or weekly cocktail outing and maybe we could do it in different parts of the state and different parts of the different states around the country as well i don't know we'll see hey uh we're going to take your calls uh, as part of 15 seconds of fame straight ahead we have four open lines now 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight straight ahead wabc Today, 77 WABC celebrates International Women's Day, and we're celebrating all day long, recognizing the contribution of women of all ages around the world who are leading the charge to build a more sustainable future for all. How do we use this moment to elevate what is happening instead of continually victimize ourselves? Featuring celebrities, interviews, entertaining and informative talk, 77. WABC. You see what inflation is doing. You see what the stock market is doing. I have a contingency plan that's going to keep your money secure as prices keep rising. The dollar lost a ton of value. Inflation rose by almost 7%. In 30 days, your dollar became worth 93 cents. Inflation is not slowing down. It's escalating. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and can protect your family's wealth. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold and silver. You have to take this seriously. You can trust Legacy Precious Metals because they give you unbiased counsel based on your individual situation. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-932-0635, or you can download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you do that, be sure to tell them you heard about it from me, Frank Moreno. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talking up. 
side of midnight i'm frank moreno hey while i'm promoting things let me mention this um this saturday is the blue lives matter nyc gala this is a great group which uh, helps the family members of uh, fallen police officers and uh, i'm a big supporter of this group and uh if you know they asked me to go i think i'm supposed to speak at this thing uh, I know Joe Piscopo is one of the award recipients. Maybe I'm introducing Joe, but if you want to see uh, and uh, Paul from Orange County Choppers, he's going to be there as well. So if you want information, I'm, I notice I'm not on the flyer, but I, they did ask me to go, and I think they told me I'm speaking. So if you um, if you want to help out, if, if you want to make a donation, or if you want to go to this event, if you want to see Joe Piscopo and me this Saturday night, you can get the information at bluelivesmatternyc.org. Uh, that's Blue Lives Matter NYC dot org. Uh, my wife's going to come with me. This all will be our first joint night out since, um, at least for a formal setting, since the baby was born. Blue Lives Matter NYC dot org. If you want to go, uh, Piscopo, me, and uh, a whole bunch more. Now, um, it's funny. My uh, my, my uh, mom is listening, and she commented that the the idea of ADO reminds me of I Love Lucy, where they were part of a charity drive, and they were saying that they were the friends to the friendless. It reminds me of that as well. And uh, she said she felt bad for that fella who uh, is kind of lonely and gave out his number. Yeah, that's why I hope um, an eligible lady will, will reach out to him. Uh, my mother is in a committed relationship, so she's not available. All right, it is time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Fred is in Yonkers. Hey, Frank, good morning. 1390 on the SAT. I would have had to sum up three of my scores in the 70s to get that much. We want the story stories. Steve is in the Catskills. Hey, Frank, great show. Listen to you every morning. I'm just trying to get a uh, message out to Governor. Uh, Hochul and the rest of the Democrats who are running the state, they should be ashamed of themselves, and they should fix the roads. Please, fix these roads. Thank you, Frank. Uh, Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hey, Frank, love the show. My wife and I listen to the podcast later on, and with that, I want to say, Alessia, go do your homework, and don't give Mommy a hard time. Good advice. Eddie in Nassau. A renowned president once stated, the business of America is American business. Mario in Brooklyn. I pray that all the kids of New York pick up that new man. Beautiful. I hope they all speak like him. Very nice accent. I don't know where it's from, but I love it. Jimmy in Brooklyn. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Jay in Cincinnati. Best regards, Frank. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so, Joe. Where did baseball go in 2022? Anthony in Edison. Yes, good morning. In this troublesome time, it's a, it's an absolute disgrace. This illegitimate Biden administration has that rotten, evil, red-headed lion witch Jen Psaki out there lying to the American people day in and day out. It's and, a shame. And finally, Steve in Coney Island. 
When the moon is around, I got big pizza pie, that's amore. Uh, well done. On that note, that slams the lid on things for, for today. I'll be back with Dr. Sky at 1 a.m. Frank Morano, good day.